The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll have an interview with Robbie Eagles. We'll also discuss G1 Climax blocks and formats, New Japan Road, and all together again. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Wrestling Tees store, wrestlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? What up, what up, what up? I'm here. (laughs) We're doing the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's funny doing the intro to you because we actually, you know, been recording now for an, for an hour. <laughs> oh, you're gonna you're gonna let it out? Yeah, we've been recording with Robbie, and now we're doing the intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I guess we should kick it to him now. There you go. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have the the opportunity to interview Robbie Eagles, talk about uh, him joining TMDK. Best Super Juniors, talk about uh, Tamashi, Forbidden Door, all kinds of stuff. He was all right. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, he was extremely gracious with his time, and uh, I I really enjoyed that interview. And uh, I think you guys are going to uh, hear a lot of really cool, interesting, and insightful things from him here. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can get him on the show again here in the future. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's uh, not waste any more time. Let's uh, throw to that interview. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We have a very special guest with us today, former IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, former IWGP Junior Tag Team Champion, three-time PWA Champion, and the latest addition to TMDK, 
the sniper of the skies, Robbie Eagles. Robbie, thanks for joining us on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I have to be honest that leading up to this interview, I was already singing your theme song. So uh, <laughs> from the Tokyo Dome over to the G1, I'm a fan, I listen. <laughs> that is awesome. Our friend, uh, so funny. Rich Latta, he, he wraps the intro for us. He's going to love that. <laughs> well, like normally when we have like a... Uh, like a non-wrestling guest come on, we'll like have them sit through everything. But I was like, oh, well, let's just, we don't have to play it. Like, we'll just get get to it. We'll put it in post. <laughs> I guess we've deprived you. <laughs> That's right. I'll just listen to it on repeat after this interview finishes. So it's all good. Nice. Well, Robbie, you know, there's a lot going on in your world right now. And you just got done with Best of the Super Junior 30 and recently joined uh, TMDK. And as our listeners know, you were started in bullet club jumped to chaos and then we saw that you know you got some offers to join the united empire uh so first question so why did you you know choose to you know reject united empire and join tmdk you know a lot of history there with you and will osprey birds of prey it seemed like that could have been a good fit for you the whole united empire thing was always a bit sketchy in terms of the presentation of these offers, as you like to say, quote, unquote. <laughs> um, it, it actually started back in Dallas of 2021 when I was appearing for New Japan Strong. For people that watch those kind of episodes where I was around that period of time, I'm there doing my backstage comments and Will Ospreay walks in. He says, it's nice to see you. Let's have a chat. And then that was that. I, I never heard from him again. So I was kind of like, why is he saying he wants to talk to me and then ghosting me? It was kind of weird. But, you know, Will's an enigma wrapped in a mystery. So he's his own guy. I totally understand. He had lots to focus on at that point in time. And then the Carl Fletcher thing, we had a match for Tamashi. And then I'm not sure if it was picked up well on cameras, but there was people in, in attendance that saw that. He was pointing to the armband and he was telling me to think about it. And I didn't really know what that meant at that time. And then we come to the TJP match for World Series Wrestling back in Australia again, and that's when he literally handed me the armband. And I'm like, what is going on? These guys aren't actually saying anything, but their (laughs) actions are then, I guess, speaking for them, but people are reading between the lines. The funniest part was the TMDK stuff was already in the works. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that I had rejected United Empire. It was just that I hadn't... (laughs) I guess I hadn't told them I had already made a choice to go somewhere else and they didn't, they weren't aware of it because, you know, unit lines don't cross like that. But for me, it was always destiny to be part of TMDK. Uh, I've grown up in the industry here in Australia watching, especially Shane and Mikey just dominate. Um, and they were the first two to show that someone from Australia, especially two people from Australia can go abroad, not just to the USA for say a WWE, but they can go to Japan and they can be, champions and that opened a lot of eyes for the wrestlers here at home and that was always something that made me go okay shit i can go to japan the place i've always wanted to wrestle and compete and be a champion because mike and shane have proven it so for me it was just a matter of when um there's been lots of jokes in between my career of me joining tmdk and it's always been like a laughable moment but now it's real so yeah it's a it's funny too because the interview came out on New Japan's website about me cracking jokes at Dan Maloney joining United Empire shortly after those offers came my way. And now look where he is, guys. So hopefully the, the heat 
of me leaving Bullet Club to go to Chaos can now get deflected a little bit in Driller's direction. <laughs> well, you definitely know a little bit about the club. Um, <laughs> so um, I've heard in the past you've referenced uh, Shane Haste and Mikey Nichols as being senpais of yours. So I'm assuming they had a hand in your training. Um, what is it like being kind of aligned with them officially and, you know, the entire dynamics with this new group as opposed to what it was like with chaos. Yeah, it is. It is a little bit different because I don't think uh, with TMDK, even though we have Zach as the front man, it's, it's not like there's any particular leader. We all band together, but we all have our own directions. Mm. Zach's got the TV title right now. And that's kind of his direction as well as the G1 as it looms closer. And then we've got, you know, Fujita under our wings and we're, we're trying to teach him the ways of TMDK. And there's there's lots of different ways to look at it because there's Zach's interpretation, there's Mike and Shane's original interpretation, and there's my new interpretation of TMDK, as well as guys like Tito and, you know, Jonah before he had gone off to um, other pastures. <laughs> In terms of them being direct senpais, they weren't guys that actually had a physical hand in training me. It was okay. more just watching them from, a, from afar because... Perth to Sydney, Western Australia to New South Wales is like uh, Los Angeles to Florida flight distance. And gotcha. gotcha. So it's not easy for me to just go over and hang out with Shane and Mike um, back when they were both living in Australia. But I did get to have a match with them after my first tour of Japan with Zero One in 2012. I teamed with Adam Brooks and wrestled Mike and Shane. And that match taught me so much because I thought I was already ingrained in that Japanese wrestling style from my three months in zero one, but then wrestling Shane and Mike and they had that heavyweight Noah tag style. It just showed that there's still more to learn. And I was only four or five years in the biz at that point. So I've always looked to them for inspiration, no matter where they've gone. And I think that's where I've seen them as senpais and as leaders for our country and our wrestlers coming from this country because they've always paved the way. They've never done it selfishly. They've always tried to invite more guys. And, you know, Jonah did a stint in Noah shortly after they had a hot run there. And Slex also did a, a, a stint in Noah representing TMDK. So they've always opened those floodgates. And that's why I've always appreciated them as leaders for our country, no matter where they've gone. Nice. Um, so with joining TMDK, has there been uh, any change in your mindset or maybe how you approach your matches or maybe kind of tweaks to your, your wrestling style? I don't feel like I have to obey by the, not the rules, but the guidelines, I guess. Like chaos is very, they don't really give you much is I think the best way to put it, Akata wears a smile and he's happy-go-lucky and then sometimes he's pissed off. But he's he's more happy-go-lucky than he is pissed off. Maybe not lately, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So with with TMDK, we're bringing that kind of, that cheeky attitude, uh, that, that I guess little bugger is what we would say in Australia and Zach too, uh, coming from the UK. It's that attitude of we don't care who you are, we don't care what you represent, but we're going to come in and we're going to give it to you one way or another. And, you know, we lost a draw. It's not, it's not always about winning the fight because there's a war that you still have to pertain in, just like a tournament like Best of the Super Juniors. Sometimes you have to bow out of a match so that you can fight the next day. And TMDK really embodies that sort of that attitude of, we're going to give it to you, we're going to give you all we've got, and we're going to make some wisecracks while we're at it. 
and have some fun while we're in there. So it's a lot more free flowing. There's less, I guess there's less um, pressure in TMDK. Whereas I felt there was a lot of kind of pressure to be a certain way in bullet club. And there was a pressure to be a certain way in chaos. Whereas now I can really just relax when I'm in the ring and be myself a lot more and be around like-minded individuals. Whereas I got along with guys in chaos and I got along with guys in bullet club, but I never felt like I was quite, on the entire same page with them. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so coming off of Best of the Super Juniors, um, we started to notice you implementing a new move into your arsenal. Um, you've been known in the past for utilizing, you know, like the 450 and the Turbo Backpack and the Ron Miller Special, but you really started focusing on strike-based. Uh, you've always had strikes, but like really emphasizing your strikes and, uh, finishing a lot of matches with a, a kick. And my notes here say, I, I think they're referring to that as trigger. Is that the name of the move? Yeah, correct. Okay. What, um, what was the main impetus or, you know, uh, motivation to, you know, kind of inspire you to start using that move in this tournament? It's something I've been working on for a number of years in training, but I didn't want to bring it to the fold until it was perfected. And best of the super juniors is kind of that best opportunity to do things like that. Expect the unexpected is what you should be telling your opponents. But luckily they're, they're so focused on their own game plan that they're not expecting the unexpected. So that's where I, I brought it into play. And I feel like more of the opposition in the B block should have been watching that opening match with Yo to yeah. have seen it coming. Mm. But I guess what they did is they were they were still continuing to study my my older tapes. They were still watching out for the Ron Miller special and the leg attacks. Whereas the trigger is the perfect kind of segue to a different direction because I need to get someone down low enough so that their head's prone in the position I need. So my leg attacks still get them there, but now I can unleash this quick snap kick that they haven't seen coming. That's a knockout blow as was proven in the best of the super juniors. Yeah. That, that really caught me off guard. And I think even as someone that, uh, you know, we unpack wrestling matches and review them, I didn't pick up right away that this was like a new finisher of, of any sort. Because oftentimes in like the super juniors, you'll see people utilize different, um, you know, match finishes that are uncommon just because of the format of the tournament that that happens. But then you started doing it again and again. I'm like, oh, this is like this is like a thing that he's perfected. And like this is a, a whole new like, you know, aspect of his game. So, you know, very, very, very cool. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate you talking about my, my striking offense too because that's something that I feel like was always underrated for my game and people were always so focused on the limb work and the submission work but they weren't really paying attention to that striking offense that I always brought to my matches because I guess it played a secondary role in a lot of the, the, the positions that I was in but now it's something that people have to be aware of going forward and I just feel really sorry for all the, the trainees at the Pro Wrestling Academy here in Sydney because they <laughs> had to pop a bunch of those triggers while they were in workshop and practice. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah definitely you know adding that knockout blow is a new weapon in arsenal definitely like you said kind of to people off their game in the tournament so that was cool to see um so you know towards the end of last year you know you ended your your team with uh tiger mask flying tiger um now you're a part of tmdk uh, do you have any plans to get a new partner to challenge for the junior tag team titles 
I'm pretty sure Vegeta's under 100 kilos. I don't think I need to go looking for anyone new right now. Uh, but there's there's still plenty of TMDK members in Australia that could step up to the plate. So Slex is a guy that's still, I don't know how, but he's a junior heavyweight and he's <laughs> built like a brick shit house. So if I ever need to bring in the big guns, that's definitely someone that I could, I could try and put the call into. And um, you've got uh, Marcus Pitt and Damian Slater over in EPW in Perth where Shane and Mike originated. Marcus Pitt is actually the original third member of TMDK. So he's one of the OGs as well. And uh, they fluctuate between heavy and junior. So uh, if you go back and watch that first tour of Australia, you actually see a young Robbie Eagles and Mick Moretti take on that tag team in Melbourne. And uh, unfortunately, they beat me in that one. So uh, there's plenty to learn from such a experienced team. Uh, so if we need to go for, say, the Never Six Man titles, there you go. either those two could come over or I could team with Shane and Mike and do an all-Aussie trio, which is, you know, it's a bit of a bummer that the United Empire stuff didn't work out and it's played how, how it has because there was one time that I got to do a trios match with uh, Kyle and Davis as Aussie Open and that was really fun because I've known them for so long. But because of where we ended up on the opposite sides of the units in New Japan, it was never meant to be. But I did have a dream after that one match in Australia that we could have eventually gone for the Never Six Mans. But that's just going to have to be a dream for now. Mike and Shane are much better accomplished tag wrestlers. So I think I've got a better opportunity of capturing belts with them anyway. Nice. Mm. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusive on keeping it strong style. I'm just waiting for it to be written on every website after this airs. So um, you've done a few uh, Super Juniors at this point. Um, how was your experience in this particular tournament? How was it different from you know some of your tournaments in the past? And what did what are you taking out of this tournament that you're going to try and implement for next year? Since you know. You came up a little short this time. This tournament was so different because it was so compact. The schedule was crazy, and I'm sure you guys are well aware of it, trying to keep up with it um, from your position. Mm -hmm. But holy cow, guys, we, we literally had, once we started, we had one day off. Every other, I guess, quote-unquote day off was a travel day, which was either several hours or if you're a prima donna like me, you, you book your own flight and uh, say goodbye <laughs> to guys on the bus and let them do the seven to eight hours and try and get some extra rest. Or crazily enough, what I was doing a lot of the times is I'd wave goodbye to the bus and then I'd get to the gym and do my workout before getting to the airport to then get to the hotel a little bit earlier and try and get some more sleep. So like, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this year's tournament is the recovery period was so minute I think that could have been the undoing for a lot of us in the tournament mm. in terms of getting to the finals. And I still spoke about it online when I was watching Dominion. That could have been Wato's undoing in his match with Hiromu. Mm. It's just the fatigue of the tournament because he went all the way through to the finals and won. I can only imagine what his body was going through and, and his mind as well. Now the added pressure of having that title match at Dominion. Hiromu got those extra days off where he got to do tags towards the end. So he, his body didn't take as much damage as Wato did. So you got to look at all that sort of stuff. I definitely think that was the major factor for all of us. Everyone was feeling it. When you would walk into a locker room, you could just see, you could like literally see the aura of fatigue on everyone. And we wanted to go, like if you were in another match and you made it to the semis and you made it to the finals, you could tell the 
mentally they're prepping themselves, but physically their bodies were hurting. So I think that's the the most defining thing from best of the super juniors 30 i'm crossing my fingers that the schedule is a lot easier next year because <laughs> generally we get more rest time uh but yeah i'm not jealous of uh guys like wato and titan doing 11 singles matches in that time frame holy crap yeah <laughs> yeah it seemed like everybody was just taped up towards the end of the tournament kt tape you know tape on the shoulders all over uh pretty crazy uh schedule um, was this your first Super Juniors with a full cheering crowd? Uh, it would have been my second. My my debut in 2019 for that That's Super right. Juniors yeah. was was still a cheering um, period of time. Uh, but but Jeremy, I just want to point out that I started with tape in the tournament and then I progressed down to no tape. <laughs> on. And that was a mental strategy, my friend, because I could tell people were eyeing off my shoulder and being like, something's not right with Robbie on that shoulder. And they're correct because I, I wrestled Claudio Castagnoli for Ring of Honor about a week before I went to Super Juniors. And I actually almost tore my AC joint. Oof. So I had a pretty bad injury going into Super Juniors and I was like, I might have to tap out of the tournament, but physiotherapists in Australia are great uh, and the trainers in New Japan take me up nice enough. And then it was almost like subterfuge, you know, like I was goading people into thinking that my shoulder was worse than it was and by match three there was no tape and people are trying to like oh is he still hurt should i go after his shoulder what should i do so it made them start second guessing their own strategy so uh i'm just kind of pulling back the curtain for you a little bit there <laughs> nice well we appreciate that <laughs> Only just don't go telling anyone <laughs> <laughs> uh well robbie we know that you're a very influential wrestler in the australia scene and we've saw the launch of njpw tamashi uh the end of last year and kind of going into the beginning of this year several tours and some of the matches have been uh, uploaded on njpw world um so we're curious you know what is the future of that brand and kind of what's your influence with that project? My influence, I guess, would be as an advisor. Um, I'm not the be or end all. I'm not a hundred percent involved, but I come in and I give kind of feedback on how I think we can make it more authentic to what you see on new Japan in Japan and also new Japan strong as a brand, because at the moment, I think we've got a pretty separate identity to the other brands. We're very much our own thing, which is not a good or bad thing. I think it's, you can look at it from either perspective, but it's part of the mission that a few of us here have, as well as, you know, I don't see eye to eye to him, eye to eye with him on a lot of things, but Bad Luck Fale does have the same uh, mission and view of trying to create a self-sustaining industry in New Zealand and Australia and Oceania as a whole. Because I was thinking about it last night before coming on to this, uh, this interview with you guys. It's very easy to be an independent wrestler even in the US. And I, I, I feel bad saying easy, but it's, it's easier to be an independent wrestler in the US because there's more shows more frequently and the travel time from state to state, depending on where you are, it's a little bit easier to just drive yourself to a show, either get the experience or get the 20, 50 bucks or whatever it is and kind of try to make a living off of it. Whereas here in Australia and especially in New Zealand, it's impossible because we're so further spread out city to city, state to state. And because we're, a, I guess, like a more segregated 
part of the world, we don't have the opportunity to run as many shows as frequently. Um, there's just not as many wrestlers, there's not as many rings. So that kind of limits us to what we can do. So if someone said, I'm quitting my job, I'm going to be a full-time independent wrestler, they would really struggle. Like, I mean, really struggle. So New Japan Tamashi is part of that solution. And it's not going to be an instant thing as much as we wish it was like a Thanos click of the fingers. <laughs> uh, it's it's something that's going to be a long-term goal of we need to just keep doing it so that we can eventually get to a point where it becomes, say, a touring brand. So then it goes from state to state to state, city to city to city, and creates opportunities for the locals to wrestle with some of the New Japan talent to get that experience to eventually get more worldly, but also to get different eyes on them. Because I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is the fans that were coming to Tamashi were not necessarily the fans that would come to a PWA, even if it was in the same building, mm, yeah. which to me was kind of like, if we're in the same building, it's the same ring, just dressed up a little differently. <laughs> why, why are people not coming to one and the other? But it's flavors of ice cream, right? If they're a fan of New Japan, then they're going to go to New Japan branded events. Same with PWA. They're going to go to PWA branded events because just because they came to PWA doesn't mean that they watch all of wrestling. They might only watch that brand. And I've got to be self-aware of that sometimes. But I think part of that, getting those new fans and getting those new eyes on, say, someone like uh, Mick Moretti or Liarbird Lucci, as you guys have mentioned before <laughs> in, this, in this podcast, who, who I have to unfortunately announce to you has retired from professional wrestling. No, um, no. So, <laughs> so you, you're... When the next Tamashi, oh no, he he didn't do those ones. But the last Tamashi events that featured him might be your last opportunity to see him in the ring. Unfortunately, for now, for now. So, so but, every time I'm like, "What about Liber Lucci?" You've just told me that that's it. That's what's going on with Liber Lucci. He's done. Like this is this yeah. is atrocious. He heard the young boy was asking about him too much, and he's like, "I can't handle this. See you later." <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, I, but yeah, so like to wrap to wrap that up, sorry, just to wrap up that thought is yeah, Tamashi's part of the thing that's gonna create uh I think a self-sustaining industry. It's not just Tamashi, it's a lot of different promotions here in Australia as well working together to kind of cultivate that because we want people to be able to do it for a full-time living or at least for a living you know, better than what they're doing it now so that they don't have to move themselves to the US or the UK or Mexico or Japan to, to, to facilitate that. We want to create an environment here where people can fulfill their dreams without moving to another country. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it, you actually already touched quite a bit on our next question, but it goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about here. So... With the future of Australian wrestling, I mean, there's a few pretty well-known brands out there. There's PWA Black Label, there's uh, Melbourne City Wrestling, there's WSW, and then like EPW. Um, what what do you see as being what's going to need to happen to take Australian wrestling to the next level? Is it going to need to be something where one of these larger companies like a new Japan or like an AW realize that there's a market there and kind of come in and, you know, build a market themselves and kind of, you know, pick up uh, some of the, like the independent wrestlers that are in that area. Or is it something where there could be like a cash infusion to one of these, you know, local companies or maybe even emerging of these companies to make a go out, go of it what's a realistic scenario that you see playing out i know 
we're kind of just guesstimating here, but what's the next step for Australian wrestling? I think you kind of laid out the two options. Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, it, it is either a big company comes in and plants their flag solidly and like goes a hundred percent into something, but it could also be something like the safe, New Japan Tamashi runs for another year or two, and then we get an opportunity to do New Japan Tamashi at Corican Hall, like the strong events that are taking place. Because mm. then that will then bring the eyes back to what we're doing, because it's all about time and place. Um, I know Mick Moretti, uh, and he might not want me saying this online, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> uh, every year, I think he approaches GCW about trying to do some sort of Australian showcase around WrestleMania week, mm. which I think would really help us out. But we could even expand that to Oceania because I've been to the Southeast Asian countries and wrestled for a couple of them, and they've got great talents in, like, Singapore, Malaysia, the Philippines. So we could do some sort of conglomerate of, like, the the under-the-radar countries. It's basically on this side of the world, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So something like that I think could definitely help and could be part of the catalyst to, like, really kickstart it. But I think... The number one thing, especially for us in Australia and New Zealand, is it, it existed on television and was super popular in, like, the 70s, yeah. especially. Mm. And then uh, the television network decided that they wanted to put their money into cricket and they took wrestling off the air. And then that's basically what killed the industry here because we were packing out the big buildings, the ones that I still want to wrestle at that are, like the amazing concert venues and stuff like that in Sydney and Melbourne, we were packing those out on a weekly basis back in the heyday of Australian pro wrestling. But because it's not mainstream enough, the advertising is what's going to be hard because once people see it, once they see a PWA and MCW and EPW, they're wowed by what we do. And Mm -hmm. I know PWA have been approached by some streaming networks to come in and just kind of like get a feel for what we do. And I think it's maybe similar to, you know, the monster factory documentary and things like that. All that sort of stuff gets approached to us all the time, but they asked the crew at PWA how much kind of the, the production costs. And when the network people were told how much it costs, they were like, this is like a $50,000 show that you're putting on for a very, very, very small percentage of that cost because we we don't have that kind of money to run those yeah. those kind of shows, fellas. Like mm-hmm. getting a couple hundred people into a venue, even if you're charging premium tickets, it's you're still not going to cover everything for a fifty thousand dollar cost one off show. Um, so we we found a way to make it look that good, but on you know the more minimal side. So imagine what we could do with that backing. We could make it way bigger, way grander. But I think that advertising is the biggest thing. So if it was on mainstream TV or advertised that way, we would get people flocking in droves to these shows. So I think that's kind of the, the looming, the looming thing. It's just kind of, let's put on one big show at a big arena, kind of get the best of the best, but it needs to be advertised correctly. I don't want people putting money on Facebook ads and Instagram stuff because we're already, already capturing those fans. Mm. We need to do big billboards in the streets. We need to put posters under all the, 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 the bridges underneath where people are crossing, going to work every day. Like all the sort of things that I guess like a touring artist or touring band would do to get like a big packed arena. That's what we need to be doing. But the funding for that is what's hard because it's hard to commit to something like that as an unknown. 
Yeah, you know, you mentioned, you know, with TV too, you know, right now in the States, you know, TV is kind of the big thing that's driving the wrestling business with all TV deals. And it seems like, yeah, if there was some kind of TV, even if it was like WWE or AW there, it would kind of just help bring a more of a popularity and an awareness uh, to wrestling in general and probably would have an easier time getting more folks to shows. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, too, like some of the, the unknowns and some of the South uh, East, you know, countries that you wrestled in. And you know, on this show, we do our excursion match of the week for our end of the year awards. And in 2020, we watched you uh, versus Chris Panzer uh, in the Philippine Wrestling Revolution. So what is the, the Philippine wrestling scene like? Oh, my God, guys, it's incredible. The, the talent is so hungry and so many of them are, are basically self-taught because they're so segregated to other parts of the world. And they do have like a little cool kind of working relationship within that country with the, the Singapore promotions and the Malaysian promo- promotions. And they're so close together that they can mm. catch pretty cheap and easy flights to bounce around. The pandemic definitely hurt them mm. as it did with everyone though. But I was just blown away by a the turnout because they packed this really cool really cool building and it was like decked out with all the lighting uh entrance video screen like it was it was a really cool arena to wrestle in but there were so many people in there and they were all rabid new japan fans which Mm. was bewildering to me because you (laughs) think a country like the philippines number one is going to be wwe and it probably is but so many people there were so knowledgeable about New Japan Pro Wrestling. And after the show concluded, they all basically lined up to meet me. I was there for like another hour or so, just like meeting, signing autographs, taking pictures. And I thought that was incredible because it was already like a pretty long show, a long day. Um, but the energy from the opening match up until I wrestled Panza was exactly the same. They kept the energy high the entire time because you got to understand this is a country that doesn't get regular live wrestling events. And if they do, they're usually on a smaller scale. So they're just frothing. They're chomping at the bit for any sort of replication of what they see on their computers, on their tablets, on their TVs. Mm -hmm. So when they get a taste of that, they're like, yes, give us more, give us more. So they're just like a really hungry country for pro wrestling. You know, there was been, there's been talks. There's a couple of Filipinos in New Japan Pro Wrestling, me being one of them as a half Filipino. I think a, a New Japan show in the Philippines, even if it was, you know, an eighth of the roster, would do amazing things over there. Um, but trying to convince the bigwigs to do stuff like that is <laughs> still a little bit difficult when we've only just gotten cheering crowds back. So, <laughs> Come on, yeah. Mario, let's that- get it going. <laughs> That's a match. If you guys are listening and you haven't checked it out, I, I we we give it the biggest recommendation. I think it's still available on YouTube for free. But uh, Chris Panzer versus Robbie Eagle is a little hidden gem, and I mean the crowd is rabid, and it's it's really fantastic. Now, with that being part of your heritage, uh, Robbie, was that the first time you'd wrestle in the Philippines? And like, you know, how what was that like for you? You know, as far as like significance, since that is part of your ethnicity. Yeah, that was the first time I'd wrestled in the Philippines. And it was also the first time I had been back to the Philippines since I was about, I'd say, two years old. So it was well overdue for me to just kind of reconnect with that part of my nationality. Um, It was really special uh, just getting to be a part of that. And it was something, the, the Philippine wrestling community is something that I've been 
watching from afar as it's grown. I, I kind of caught wind of PWR when they were first in their infancy, and I always kind of kept tabs on them, just like little things I could see on YouTube or whatever I could see on any social media. I just kind of see it from like my position and just take a glance at it. So I always knew it was there. And then I remember 2019 is when TJP and Jeff Cobb got to do a big show over there. And that's when it really caught my eye again. And I was like, okay, they're doing some really cool stuff over there. So when it all came together and I was able to do it, I got to reconnect with my family over there as well, which was, you know, awesome. They were in the, the front two rows. Uh, it was just a real special moment. And it's the same for me whenever I wrestle here in Australia. Um, still to this day, I have family that come to shows that haven't seen me perform ever. So some were seeing me for the first time in 2022. And that's a really cool moment for me to share what I've been dedicated to for the last 15 years with people that usually don't get it. <laughs> so to like kind of convince them in an instant is always reassuring that I'm on the right career path and I'm doing something that then creates enjoyment for others. It's not just like a selfish thing that I'm doing. Like I have a hobby of building remote control cars because that's only something I can really enjoy. Especially if I had like a little niece or nephew that's like, let me play with it. I'll be like, no, get your hands off it. Um, so pro wrestling is something that everyone can enjoy, especially from the audience or even just watching it. So it's, it's really fulfilling to do that in the Philippines, in Australia, wherever I go. And I, I have been kind of making that my mission over the last couple of years. As I grow more into my older years as an adult, I'll say, uh, trying to connect with my family through this passion that I have is something that's very special to me and I want to keep continuing to doing as much as nice. I can. Nice. Um, so, you know, earlier you, you mentioned uh, wrestling Claudio. So, you know, you, you stepped through the forbidden door uh, to wrestle him for the ROH world title before Super Juniors. Uh, any chance that we'll be seeing you at Forbidden Door 2? Who knows, fellas? I can't spill <laughs> any beans. Um, it's, it's definitely something that's been on my list since, you know, Super Juniors last year. Uh, it's just unfortunate that really... You're just not the, the pure champion anymore because he still owes me a title shot. Yeah, and whether he's got a championship belt around his waist, I'm still going to demand that he owes me a title <laughs> shot. He can, he can get it to me however he likes. <laughs> he holds the title of you can get this ass whooping. That's the title he holds. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Are there um, any dream opponents you haven't had the chance to face yet? You know, who'd be at the top of that list? Oh, it's always like a recurring question. And I think it change, the answer will change based on time of day, what day we're on. Um, and it's also like who's kind of floating around in the wrestling stream, I guess. The one that's most apparent to me at the moment because there's a, a possibility of it happening is as a younger wrestler with a guy down here called Matt Diamond. And uh, he's an incredible wrestler. We still get to do tag matches every now and then whenever the stars align for us back home in Australia. But we very much based ourselves on the Motor City Machine Guns. Mm. We took to them for inspiration, like a lot of young tag teams did during that sort of mid-2000s, late uh, early 2010s. And Alex Shelley and Chris Saban are actually coming to Australia twice this year. So if there's a potential for myself and Matt Diamond to have that dream match that we never thought was possible with the machine guns. I'm going to take every opportunity 
to make that happen. Whether it's in Wagga Wagga or whether it's in Sydney, it doesn't matter to me um, as long as it happens. And, guys, Wagga Wagga is not close to my house. It's not an easy drive. It's, <laughs> it's a pretty long trek to get to. But if i got to get in my car and get myself there to make that match happen, I'll, I'll do it. So, you know, Multiverse United is a thing. Impact mm. and New Japan have a working relationship. And you've got a New Japan pro wrestler sitting at your do- your doorstep when you're coming here. So uh, I- I'd like to make that happen. And then if there's an opportunity for me to have a one-on-one match with Alex Shelley, that's that's like the dream match for me because anyone that's known me even before I was a burgeoning pro wrestler, he was one of my guys that I looked at when I first caught indie wrestling. And I went, he he's it. That's who I want to be. And it's, it's, it's a bit embarrassing to say that now because he's someone that I look to as a peer, but he was definitely someone that captivated me early on. And uh, the other guy that I'd like to put into that same category is Amazing Red. Mm. And luckily enough for me, I've been able to train with him at House of Glory several times now. Um, and the first time was in 2011 when, you know, they had just opened their doors. I emailed them off a whim because I was in New York and I had nothing to do and I was there for wrestling. And Amazing Red and the Hog guys opened their doors and their arms to me. And I've had this cool relationship with someone that opened the doors for independent wrestling for me because at one point in time, cable television in Australia lost the rights to SmackDown randomly. But then we, <laughs> but then we got old reruns of TNA. And so I saw the SATs mm. and Low Key and Christopher mm. Daniels and Elix Skipper and Amazing Red for the first time. And I was like, this is it. My life has changed. <laughs> it's not a bad trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll- you and Shelly, that would be great. You know, Shelly just recently won the, the gold. In, yeah, the Impact World Title. So, hey, you know, multi, Multiverse United, let's get uh, Eagles versus Shelly for the Impact World Title. Also, Saban won the X Division title. We can get a X Division title match going, too. That'd be that'd be fun to see. So, uh, kind of winding down here, Robbie, uh, what is your uh, favorite New Japan match you've had so far? Ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. That is a toughie. Um oh holy cow i yeah i think it's gonna have to be the el Fantasma match from best super juniors 29 mm-hmm. um there was just so much that went into that uh emotionally as well and it was a real con- conclusion to a story i feel um it was something that had gone basically my whole time in new japan me and Fantasma were kind of joined at the hip ever since he started in the company and, you know, at first it was on the same side and then it became opposite sides and then it became its own individual thing when we kind of broke away from from Osprey being a part of it and Ishimori was more doing his own thing. So then it was just consistently me and Fantasmo butting heads. And I think it we had in that period of time, we still were able to get noise out of that Corican crowd. We, we, we caught them off guard so much in that match that they forgot the rules were in place that they couldn't cheer and make noise. So they were gasping and they were making noise. And you could tell, like, if one person started chanting or cheering, the rest of them were going to follow. It was just they were they were <laughs> just on the edge of, I'm taking this damn mask off and I'm going to start cheering for Phantasma or I'm going to start cheering for Robbie, but I don't want to be the only one. So they were a little bit hesitant to be the starter, starting point. But, yeah, that match was really special. Main event in Corican, I don't get a lot of those in singles format either. So mm. to get the win, to finally tap out Phantasma, and it was a packed house too. I mean, 
that's literally what dreams are made of. So, yeah, it's, it's always going to hold a special place in my heart. You know, we, we review a lot of matches, obviously, and that one actually won the junior match of the year, I believe. Was that last year or the year before? Last year, yeah. Last year. Um, and every now and again, there'll be a match where you remember it and there'll be like one memorable thing. And I just remember you going up where you went to copy his splash and you almost bit it. And it was so <laughs> freaking scary. But at the last second, like you stick it and it's like, oh, like I just like I I. I, I marked out for that, like, and that's one of those things. Where it's like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> that yeah, I'll never, incredible. I'll never try the thunder kiss ever again. <laughs> that could be his move. I'm happy with him having that one. But that moment sticks out. The uh, the dive to the outside with the uh, kick to the barricade. Like, oh, there's so many like just really crazy moments. That yeah, that match is incredible. Um. Aside from uh, that being your favorite New Japan match, do you have a favorite opponent in New Japan? And is it Phantasma or is it somebody else? Hmm. <laughs> Good question. There's a lot of different choices I could make here. I I do like wrestling someone like TJP just because he tests me on that technical side. And he's, again, someone that I look at kind of the same as Shane and Mike as a senpai in the way that, Early on in my career, I met him, and, uh, you know, through our, our heritage, we kind of connected, and even though we're on opposing sides now, it's it's always great to see, especially for his, how long his career has been and how much he's still just kept at it. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love getting in the ring with him to test myself from that technical standpoint. Uh, I think Doki is someone that I have great chemistry with, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> and it all started with him basically trying to split my head open in Super Juniors in 2019. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like we've, we've kind of just had this like almost like sibling rivalry going on now where we, we're quoting Mick Foley and The Rock and Hulk Hogan <laughs> to each other. And I don't know where that started. It just happened. Uh, so that's that's like a little fun thing because, you know, it started off a lot more vicious and now it's gone into this more playful side and then it's about okay we push each other to to be better than we were the last match with one another so that's that's a cool rival to have in new japan um i'm trying to look at our recent ones yo is also someone that's always kind of pushed my buttons Mm. whether we were on the same side or not he's always been someone generally he's had my number in singles matches and i was able to get that victory to start off this most recent super juniors but he is an underrated heavy hitter. He is an underrated wrestler in the ring, I think. I know people would give him flack for his attitude, especially for the last year and a half, two years or whatever it was before his team with Leo. But the the fire when he does bring it, yeah, that's that's hot. So like I, I like I like wrestling yo because it, it's always even when we're on the same side, it was always a little little bit nasty always a little bit of jealousy would come out from one another so it's always fun to have those matches but in all honesty i could name everyone in the junior division there's not a bad match in the crop um it's just as more new people come into the fold like a francesco akira like a driller maloney Mm. it's fun to test yourselves out with those guys and see where that match chemistry is going and how it's going to be going forward so i'd love to have another singles with akira because he beat me in this one and I think our match that we had, although it's a losing effort for me, is definitely one of my favorite performances from this last Super Juniors. So um, he's 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 a kid that I want to continue to fight to test myself to see if I can still go with the younger the younger generation. 
Yeah, and I think even too like you and Vegeta versus Catch Two Two, that would be a fun tag match as well. So uh, last question. Well, he ain't a young boy anymore. That's right. A- yeah. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, last question here, Robbie. So, what are your your goals and aspirations for your future in wrestling? Is there any particular championship or achievement that you're aiming for? I said it in my backstage comments after the Desperado match in Osaka that knocked me out of the tournament. I'm not going to rest until I win the best of the Super Juniors. Mm. Uh, it's not going to be good enough just to make the semifinals. It's not going to be good enough just to make the finals. I am going to keep going. I'll burn the candles at both ends until I win the best of the Super Juniors because I said it since 2019 in my first tournament, and I'll say it every year afterwards until I make it happen. My ultimate goal and dream is to get that trophy, obviously hold it in the middle of the ring, whether it's in the Budokan or Ryugoku or wherever it is. And then I want to pack it for the plane ride home, come back to PWA where everything started for me and raise it in front of my hometown crowd and tell them that I have achieved the thing that I told them that I would always achieve because I spoke about it at length, doing things like winning the best of the super juniors really not only shines a light on you as a performer, but on everyone around you. And I need people to take this side of the world more seriously than they do in terms of how good our wrestlers are. Just look at those in AEW and WWE. Between Tony Storm, you got uh, Buddy Matthews, and then you've got all the guys in WWE. Like even Grayson Waller, someone that I don't appreciate his attitude a lot, (laughs) but he has done fantastic things, landed on SmackDown, and I can only... I'm just waiting for his first opportunity to get into the ring and show that audience what he's all about. There's so many Australians and people from New Zealand too killing it, but there should be more because we're so talented down under. And uh, if it takes me holding that trophy uh, in the middle of the ring in Japan to bring those eyes this way, then I'm going to do it. And that's why I don't think you could find someone as selfless as me because my goals are never just for Robbie Eagles. It's always for almost like a greater good. And it's part of that plan of creating that um, self-sustaining industry here in Australia. So if me holding that trophy helps springboard that happening, then that's what I want to do. If it catches the eye of a sponsor, then that's what I want to do. And also the selfish part is that I just want to win that tournament. I've been in it, what, five times now in a row, the only foreigner to say that. Uh, so six time lucky. I mean, if you were to win it, which we have all, all the faith that you're capable of it, uh, puts you in really rarefied error because there's only been five foreigners that have ever even won that tournament. Like Pegasus kid, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Prince Devitt, Ricochet. And then the last winner was Will Ospreay. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you winning that tournament would put you in the exact same class as all those guys, essentially. And I think a, a, a sub, like a sub sort of section of that dream would be to have an all Gaijin final mm. uh, because I think that's something that they haven't really had maybe ever before. Uh, we saw Titan in this most recent one representing Mexico, but imagine if you had someone from Australia versus someone from the US. Yeah, I think that would set a whole new barometer for where the junior division is. And it would show that, it's not just the home talent that are getting to the top. 
those that live abroad or study abroad, I guess, in pro wrestling uh, are just as good and are honing their craft just as well as the guys from, say, the Noge Dojo from the other dojos in Japan. So, yeah, that's 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 definitely something that I would like to see happen. If I were to, like, place it as an actual match, I would want Phantasmo to cut the weight and come back to the juniors <laughs> to have that finals with him to – you know, kind of top that Corican match, but that might be something that slipped through our fingers for now in terms of the, the, the pipeline. He's he's focused on other things, and I totally understand that. Uh, but, yeah, if I were to create my own finals, that would have been it. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking right now, and I, I don't think there's ever been an all-gaijin final, like, ever. I mean, yeah, no. Nope. Something behind that. There's a lot of it's great- a conspiracy. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? I take that back. Ooh. 2013 Prince Debit versus Alex Shelley was a final. Ah, oh, there you go. Okay. But ha- look at the names in that final, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It can happen again. Let's let's just get it set. <laughs> Robbie Eagles versus Alex Shelley in the finals. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> well, Robbie, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online, merch, any upcoming dates, and how they could support you. Yeah, they can find me on pretty much all social media at Robbie Eagles underscore R-O-B-B-I-E-E-A-G-L-E-S underscore. And uh, I've got a Pro Wrestling Tea store, so that's where you can catch all my hot new TMDK t-shirts as well as the New Japan Tokon Shop Global. Uh, I've got two that have already been bestsellers. So hop on the TMDK bandwagon because the mighty don't kneel. And when you wear that t-shirt, you literally can't get below your waistline. So um yeah, that's that's a little joke. We, we, we literally, <laughs> literally, not figuratively, we don't kneel. Um, although someone screen capped me kneeling at one point, so uh, stuff that person on the internet. Uh, upcoming dates, you'll have to just stay tuned to social media. I got some stuff in the pipeline, but I can't reveal it. Might be knocking down some doors, who knows? Mm. But um, you know, either way, I'm going to be keeping it strong style till I die. <laughs> nice. nice. All right, Robbie, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. All right, and we're back. Uh, yeah, so great having Robbie on. Really good interview. Definitely a lot of uh, insightful stuff there. Yeah, thanks so much, Robbie. And, uh, you know, I think one thing that was cool was, um, you know, I listen. Robbie's one of the most gracious uh, wrestlers out there with his time because if you go on Spotify and you just look up Robbie Eagles, and I did this earlier today because I was like, you know what? I want to make sure we're asking good questions. We're not just rehashing, you know, the same topics and same subjects everybody else does. And then I was like, holy fuck, he's done so many podcasts. (laughs) But he's literally, I think at this point, uh, if you want to count all the like quote unquote major solely New Japan podcasts that are out there, there's like us and J-Cast and then you know, we work stiff and never open and Okada shorts and he's done all of them. And I think we're the last, you save the best for last. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it, that's really cool of him to, uh, you know, make time for guys like us who are, you know, doing this purely as a passion project <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, not necessarily like breaking in the big bucks, but uh you know, to take his time uh, out of his morning and to come and do the show with us. And I thought one of the really cool things that we were able to talk about that I hadn't heard anywhere else is the time he spent over in the Philippines. And again, if you guys haven't seen that match with Chris Panzer, go out of your way to watch it because it is really awesome. 
yeah, that match was incredible. Definitely go out your way to watch that. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, talking to him and about the the Philippine wrestling scene and yeah, it's kind of his experience too in Australia. And so yeah, a lot of great stuff from that interview. Nice. Well, Jeremy, I guess we got to talk about the G one climax. And normally, like when there's an announcement for the G one, we're like, oh yeah, this here's the announcements. It came out. We're gonna wait and hold off until Chris comes on the show. But like, I feel like we kind of have to do like a mini quasi preview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of news. There's a lot of stuff that's going on with this G one this year. Yeah. The preview to the preview. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this past weekend on the uh, new Japan road show, they announced the blocks and the schedule and the main events and some format changes. Uh, I guess we'll start with the block. So uh, a block, we have Sonata, Chase Owens, Hikaleo, Ren Narita, Shota Umino, Yota Suji, Gabe Kidd, and Kaito Kiyomiya. In the B block, we have Kazuchika Okada, Yoshihashi, Taichi, Kenta, Great Okan, Will Ospreay, Tangaloa, and El Phantasmo. In the C block, we have David Finley, Tomohiro Ishii, Evil Tamatanga, Shingo Takagi, Aaron Hanare, Eddie Kingston, and Mad Mikey Nichols. And then in the D block, we have... The Ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroki Goto, Zack Sabre Jr., Toro Yano, Jeff Cobb, Shane Hayes, and Alex Coughlin. Yeah, so the Round Robin Tournament is going to be kicking off Saturday, July 15th, when uh, block action is over. The top two wrestlers from each block, they're going to advance to an elimination phase of quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the finals. So the finals will be taking place Sunday, August 13th. So essentially, two performers will make it out of each block, leaving five guys as losers in that block and two people to to advance. And the way that the advancements are going to go, they're going to have A1 versus C2. B1 will, will wrestle D2. C1 will wrestle B2. And D1 will wrestle A2. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of variability for mm-hmm. how this is going to play out. Uh, anyone that's doing brackets or contests, like good luck this year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you even begin to predict and try to do a bracket for this. <laughs> it's going to be very, very interesting. And then uh, the other big change this year, aside from just them adding competitors and from them adding, you know these semifinals and all that the tournament matches are going to have just a 20 minute time limit this year, which that's the biggest change in G one, because I think historically it's almost always exclusively been a 30 minute time. limit. Yeah. Um, as far as I can remember, yeah, it's always been 30 minutes and it seems like, you know, a lot of those matches do usually go close to the 30 minute time. Limit. We've, we've seen draws in the past in G one. So this 20-minute timeline is going to create um, some urgency and get some uh, tighter matchups. And we do have a lot of questions here, so it's probably going to help us facilitate some of the conversation. And, you know, if you guys didn't ask questions and there's something you want to hear, well, maybe you should be asking questions on this show, you know? <laughs> but, uh, Jeremy, why don't you take us through some of those? Yeah, so first from uh, Reddit user OKOK890 says, Thoughts on Okada not being in the block practically made for Okada. Well, you know, it's a very interesting thing, actually, because, you know, I think the first 
glaring, obvious uh, sort of thing that most fans noticed was the A block, how you've got first-time champion Sonata, and then you've got all these new young entrants in Hikaleo, Red Narita, Shota Umino, Yotsuji, Gabe Kid, and then outsider K- Kato Kiyomiya. And it's a very youth-driven block. It's a block that has a lot of, like I said, first-timers in the tournament. And I think a lot of people probably imagined that many of these individuals would be dispersed throughout the tournament in a manner to where we're kind of used to like, for instance, last year, Hanari, he was in a block. It was his first time. And it's like, you get your feet wet, you get some experience. You might get one big win, but then you're at the bottom of the block and you lose a lot. And then you kind of work your way up from there. And that's what I think a lot of people were expecting mm-hmm. out of the entrance in a block. And instead they're all packed together, meaning we're going to get a lot of first time matchups, but they're also going to be avoiding wrestling the old guard like, you know, Okada, but other people too, like there's, they won't be wrestling Naito or Tanahashi or, you know, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of names there. And so it it is interesting because I think, yes, you could have put Okada in this block and done the whole him versus the youth generation. And I'm sure, you know, it's pretty much a lock that Okada is going to get through in his block. And someone from this block is definitely going through to face him. So I think we're still going to get a little taste of what people wanted. But my feeling is we're probably getting a lot of this is the new generation and we're going to probably be kicking off what's going to be six to ten years of feuds in this block right here in this tournament right out the gate. And it's kind of exciting, actually. Yeah, I think a lot of people are kind of more, you know, obviously have their eyes set on the kind of Okada story they're telling and. Locked in on that, but I think what they're doing here in this A block, what you're saying is they're they're building the foundation for what the future is going to be with these rivalries. We're, we're already seeing like Dorita and Umino have beef on these you know undercards tag matches, and so kind of building this rivalry with this younger class of guys that we're going to see in the future. You know, Dorita and Umino, Suji and Umino, Narita and Suji, Kid and Umino, like all these guys are going to be you know in the in the big shows and the big matches. So we're kind of establishing the rivalries there. And I kind of like kind of keeping Okada out of it for right now because I think that there's going to be some big money matches in the future of each one of these guys trying to beat Okada on bigger shows than just kind of in the middle of G1. Yeah, I agree. And it's also going to allow a lot of these guys to avoid just being cannon fodder for the old guard. You know, they're not going... And I'm not saying there won't be people who end up at the bottom of of the uh, the block. Obviously, that's probably going to happen. It's not going to be all parody based, but they're not going to just get beaten like a drum in C block or something like that. Right? Yeah, it's not like they're you know the newcomer, young guy. Yeah, they're going to eat you know a bunch of losses and you know be like two and six or you know one and seven or something like that. They have actually have a chance to to shine, to win a block, and to uh, end their first G one on a good note. Uh, so, okay, okay, 890 also asked, do you think the Osprey and Okada match is wasted in the middle of the G1? Yeah, I was looking for that, and I, to be honest with you, I've seen uh, Chris and a few others kind of g- 
give some analysis about, and we've tweet, we've retweeted some of it showing who's in what main events and on what nights, but I haven't really analyzed the schedule uh, too drastically just yet, but um, I think it's okay for, you know, for uh, Okada and Will Ospreay to have a match in the middle of the tournament. I'm, are they, do you happen to, I'm trying to look at uh, their main eventing. Yes. Main event of July 27th. Okay. And do we know where that's at? Uh, let's see here. I can probably it says Tokyo. Yeah, let's see where that's at. Could I don't think it's uh Corkin. Match seems too big for Corkin. Hold on, let's see. Going to the schedule here. Let's see. July twenty seventh. They're in Ota City uh general gymnasium. Okay, so they're in they're in a bigger building. I don't think that's a waste. I mean, we already got essentially a trilogy out of those well actually last year it was just two big matches but we've had multiple big matches from these guys in the g1 amongst other big stages in the past and they're in the same block so it's not like uh i think it's okay and i think it's interesting because this year the old tactic that folks usually take when it comes to predicting the g1 where you just skip ahead to the finals and you take a look and see who's facing who and kind of make your judgments based off that. Some of that is really out the window, especially when it comes to this new format. Uh, I do think it's interesting that we're getting Will Ospreay and ELP in the, on the final night of block action against one another, take that for whatever that might mean. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think it's a waste to have Okada and and, uh, Ospreay. I'm glad they're in the same block. So we get the match because we, they could have easily wound up in total separate blocks and not even ever, you know, touch each other. Right. And even though there are some unique main events on this tour, you still need some big main events that are going to draw in the bigger buildings. So, you know, Okada Osprey is one of those big time matchups that they've kind of really built that rivalry up. So, yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense to kind of do that in the middle of the tournament, one of the highlight matches and something that's going to help draw um, in that city. Um, they also asked, will we ever get a Zach versus Taichi match? You know, it's it's the I'm sure we will, but it's also the give and take when it comes to the structure of a four block G1. Um, you get to save matches and you get to give downtime and rest to the competitors and even get more people involved. But then you also don't get as many surefire matches just depending on how the blocks are aligned. And so, yeah, this year we're not getting Zach versus Tai Chi. Who knows? Maybe they end up in the finals against each other. You never know, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's not likely that we'll see that this year. Yeah, and I think it kind of helps to kind of hold that off, kind of build up some anticipation for that. So when they finally do have that big match, it's it's awesome. Uh, then his last question it says: All the blocks besides A block have two wrestlers quite likely for the quarterfinals. Do you think any upsets happen in those three blocks, or does it go smooth sailing mostly? Well, you know, honestly, I I started to fall into that trap myself, and I haven't made any definitive picks just yet. But you know, at first I was like, well, I think it'd be these two, and then these two, and these two, and then I. But then I started examining it a little bit more, and I was like, well, some blocks got like three or four guys that I could see going through because again, it's just quarterfinals, and I think that allows some of Ghetto's proclivities that we're used to seeing in say like the new Japan cup with upsets come into play because if they're, you can put somebody into a quarterfinal as a surprise or an upset 
provided they're not going all the way to the finals, it's okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, don't be surprised if you get some, some upsets and some, uh, some people going through into those blocks, you know, into those quarterfinals that you're not expecting. Yeah. I think it's going to be very, very unpredictable, especially with that, that quarterfinal setup. Like I think there's going to be guys that we don't expect to get in there that are going to get in. Uh, moving on to the last commission seven two five two. What do you guys think will be? Who do you guys think will be the workhorse of each block? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I'm just gonna kind of go off my gut. Um, in the A block, that's a tough one. I I'm inclined to say Ren Narita, but I think I gotta go with Gabe Kidd first. Mm. What do you think about A block, Jeremy? I, I'm gonna go Kiyomiya. It could be Kiyomiya. He's got a lot to prove, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, B block. It's Will, probably, yeah, just because yeah, it's, it's always Will. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, in the C block, I mean... Shingo. You got Shingo, but you also got Ishii in the same block, which is going to... When they lock up, it's always Yeah, phenomenal. that's going to be great. Um, you know who it should be, though? It should be David Finley. Mm. And if it's not David Finley, something's gone terribly awry, because he should be the guy working the hardest in that block. But it's probably going to be Ishii or Shingo, I'm guessing. I, I, I'm going to say Ishii. Yeah. Uh, D-block, um, probably go Saber. I was going to say, I think Zach. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if either Jeff Cobb, you know, is really putting in the effort, but mm. another surprise guy that, I could see really like busting his ass to have a fantastic tournament. Shane Hayes. Yeah. I think Shane Hayes is very underrated, especially in a singles capacity. So yeah, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to have really good matches with this whole block. And then uh, one thing we kind of glossed over in the C block, we do got Eddie Kingston and I don't know what to expect there. I don't know if we're going to get like Eddie taking some nights off so he can peak on other nights or if he's just going to be like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> just going to go balls to the wall on the whole tournament. And, you know, I have, again, I haven't looked at these enough, but, like, holy shit, you got Kingston, Ishii, Shingo, David Finley, Hanare, Mike. Like, that's a crazy block. <laughs> <laughs> that C block is crazy. Yeah, that, that's the, the hard-hitting block right there. Oh, man. Good uh, question. Next question, does Sonata at some point lose a title to a Okada, Osprey, or Naito before Wrestle Kingdom 18, or does the company have enough faith in him to main event next year? Well, you know, I was kind of counting him out already going into this tournament that he should have dropped the belt. Um, He didn't. I think it's been many, many, many years since they've had somebody win the title early in the year, and then not carry it to the G1. But if you were going to do that, Sonata seems like the prime guy to have carried it from like February up until like October and drop it at a King of Pro Wrestling. Mm. I think the last time that I recall a champion being the champion through G1 and then dropping it prior to Wrestle Kingdom was AJ Styles. He dropped it at at King of Pro Wrestling to... Tanahashi yeah before Tanahashi went on to defend it against uh Okada and I think that is a likely scenario but I can't say a hundred percent that that's what's going to happen 
because they've kept the title on the guy this long and you just never know. I mean, it, I don't know what their plans are for January 4th, you know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a, a good potential of a Sonata Naito main event because obviously they, they've held off on Naito challenging him since he's joined just five guys. So I think there's something they can do there uh, for that potentially. But also, too, it, he could, yeah, drop it at King of Wrestling, Power Struggle, and then you do whatever you want to do January 4th. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't doubt. I wouldn't be surprised if they go that way. Yeah. And let's commission's last question. With the time reduction being a new thing in this year's G1, should we expect a draw at least once or twice from each box? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all because keep in mind, um, you know, with these eight-man blocks, the math is going to have to be pretty interesting to get two people to go through, not just one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the tournament is ripe for, you know, time limit draws, DQs, countouts, you know, stuff like that. And I think I'm not saying we're going to see a lot of it, but don't be surprised if we see a couple throughout the tournament. Yeah. I'm hoping though, we're just going to get like a more kind of a maybe faster paced matches, more be a more sense of urgency. And we don't always see like the time limit draw. Well, they had the 30 minute time limit for the best of the super junior matches, but because of that condensed schedule that Robbie was talking about earlier in the show, that necessitated and all those matches were being held on the same cards most often each mm-hmm. night. It, it necessitated a, a shorter amount of working time for the average match. And, you know, that was probably a positive thing for that tournament in a lot of ways. And I'm guessing that that was probably a cue that they're taking from that tournament and applying it here. And yeah, it is a shorter time limit, but we're going to, we're going to see people working shorter matches just in general because of that. Right, we're going to have cards with eight tournament matches. So, yeah, you can't do the 30 minutes with, with that. I mean, you could, but it, the match is going to be shorter regardless. Yeah, and I think that that's a net positive overall, especially considering how a four-block tournament played out last year with their format. I think this format on paper looks a lot better. Yeah. Uh, next question here from our user, Veer Sabin. Says, uh, which of the new talent in A block do you think will really shine this year? And do you think there's any chance Kaito defeats Okada in the semifinals? For me, I think it's pretty much a lock that Kiyomiya is going into one of the quarterfinals or semifinals against Okada. And it would suck if he lost to Okada this time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it makes all the sense in the world that he beats him. And I, I pr- that's the only like thing that I feel certain of going into the tournament. And because I feel certain of it, they're probably not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, the interesting thing is, you know, they're so Kiyomi is an A and Okada's in B. So for them to face, it would have to be in the semifinals. So I, I I think that that is very possible. In fact, I think it's likely. And I think Kiyomiya being a, a de facto ace of Noah, him beating Okada and then losing in the finals would be the the the, the, the make good that all the people who are like, well, what's Noah getting out of this relationship? Well, your guy went all the way to the finals. He beat the ace of the company and then he lost to you know, 
whoever, Will Ospreay, yeah. Shingo, who knows. I think that that's a great story. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the ultimate revenge of stopping Okada from, you know, winning his, what, fourth G1 in a row or whatever, where he's at. So, um, as far as, um, you know, who's going to be looking to make a name for themselves in the A block, I think everybody is, but you got Sonata there, and this is so interesting for him because he's champion, first time as champion in the G1, maybe the only time he ever will be, we don't know. But he has this entire youth movement. We've always talked about how Sonata's a guy that can rest that wrestles at a higher level when he's wrestling people above him. Mm-hmm. But he's got guys that are basically his senpais across the board, aside from like Chase Owens. However, they're all young and hungry, and they're all going to be pushing him to his limit. And he's also got a point to prove because he sort of needs to convince the higher ups that like they didn't make a uh, you know a bad decision putting the strap on him. <laughs> so I'm so intrigued to see what Sonata go, you know, basically playing, you know, he's basically trying to play Okada in this tournament, what that's going to look like. It's going to be very, very, very interesting. But then you have all these hungry young guys and, you know, Suji, Umino, Narita, Gabe Kidd, Kiyomiya, these are all guys – Every single one of those people I believe in, and and I think they're all going to thrive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- that group of guys, man, they are, you know, hungry. They want the star, the spotlight. They want, you know, to be top stars in New Japan for wrestling. And, yeah, I think they're going to go out there. They're, they're going to kill each other. They're going to have hard-hitting, very intense matchups. And, yeah, with Sonata, I mean, a lot of people are very hard on him. A lot of critics are hard on him. And so I, I think that... He's going to be probably overanalyzed in this tournament, and I think that people are going to be seeing, all right, can Sonata keep up with guys like Umino and Suji and, and Gabe Kidd and Narita who are going to be out there, you know, giving it their all? I think it's also interesting because they got Hikaleo in there, who's, you know, technically a young guy, but he's also this quasi-monster, even though he doesn't wrestle like it, and it's going to be interesting to see how he acquits himself against these types of wrestlers because they're all young, hungry, fast-paced, high-octane offense guys. And I'm like, is he going to unleash the inner Lance Archer slash Bad Luck Fale and just start fucking destroying guys? You know? Yeah. Um, that's good. And then, and then when he needs to delve into his bag of tricks and, you know, get a little work ready with some of them, they're all there for they're, – they're ready to do that. Um, and then you got Chase Owens who like, obviously Chase isn't ever going to win this tournament or anything, but (laughs) he's that amazing, you know, old head, great hand who can, you know, play spoiler, show a trick or two to these guys. And when he's paired with the right type of people, he can also go out there and really deliver. Um, a block is going to be phenomenal. Yeah, I think I find it very interesting that Chase and Sonata are on the final night of uh, A Block action. To me, that kind of screams like upset alert. That would be horrible, though, if <laughs> Chase Owens is beating your current reigning world champion. I mean, he he beat the U.S. champ. That's not the same thing, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all it takes is it's one C trigger and a package pile driver. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, next question here from Def Triangle 720. If New Japan books Kaito well in the G1, could he potentially leave Noah and join NJPW? Uh, you can't. Never say never, right? But uh, I don't anticipate it, but you just never know. Yeah, I'd be surprised, especially if it was very soon after G1. Uh, next question here from MJ Does PR. NJPW asks fans to choose which G1 blocks you would choose to share a house with, share an office with, share a long card with, and party with. What okay. say you? House, office, party, and car ride? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would probably pick. It's uh, tough because, you know, like, I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> 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 um, uh, there are foreigners right. in, in in each block. I yeah yeah. Um, who do you want to share a house with, Jeremy? Uh, I think I would. Uh, may, maybe D block because I, I feel. Bro, like... I was literally gonna say like <laughs> if I had to live with someone, it, it'd probably be like Tanahashi and crew. <laughs> Uh, I feel like Goto would be like the responsible dad, make sure, you know, everybody gets to bed on time, nothing's broken, and everything's staying in line. Yeah, like Jeff Cobb's cool, you know. Yeah, like this, that would, that seems like the chill block that you might want to live with. Uh, all right. And share an office with. So I guess people you got to work with. Mm. Uh, I think I'll go. Uh, with uh, A block. Ah, I don't know. I, I don't really like this game, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, um, I, I'd probably say B block. I guess I don't. And why? Just no, 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 no. I, I'm changing that. I'm changing that. Sorry. Um, what are the other ones? Uh, Office party with and, and car ride. Okay, you know what? I'll I'll go with A block as well, just because like it's just like a lot of young studs like myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure it's a sales office. We'll get shit done. <laughs> and then as far as I know, for the party block for me, it's gonna be B block. Yeah, I mean, you got Phantasmo in there. He'll be bumping the rave music. You got Ocon in there. Oh, bro. <laughs> that's that's all you have. That's it. Period. <laughs> Who else is in the block? Ocon's in the block. That's the party block. Oh my gosh! Yeah. It also helps Taichi's in that block, and so is Will Osprey. So, <laughs> and um, Little Kazu. Yeah. And then that that just leaves the long car ride group. That's C block. And at first you'd be like, "That's a lot of big dudes. You want to share a car ride with them?" But it's like Eddie Kingston. I would just want to listen to Eddie Kingston stories all day, pretty much. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Good game. Uh, Heavenly Halberd says, do you think Sonata will retain in Total Kingdom, or do you think he'll lose a title at a big fall show from someone who beats him in the G1? Kind of covered that already. That is, you know what, though? That is an interesting thing. Um, I don't think that there's anyone in his block that beats him to get a title shot. Yeah, I think Suji will get his win back, but I don't think it'll lead to another title match. And you know what? I'll also go on record to say Chase Owens is not beating Sonata to upset him from going into the quarterfinals. Sonata is going to the quarterfinals. He's going to get beat by one of the bigger names in a different block 
to potentially set up a title shot in the, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know why I was stressing about it. Two two <laughs> guys are getting through the block. Sonata's going to be one of them. It's probably going to be Sonata and Kiyomiya. Yeah, those are the two guys that I'm kind of circling right now from A block. Uh, X Ethan Discord says, when I heard that Kiyomiya was going to be in the G1, I immediately thought that he'd be in the same block as Okada and would get his win back on him, but that's not the case. If I'm not mistaken, the only way the two of them can fight is in the semifinals or finals. Do you think we could see Kiyomiya make it to the finals and get his win back on Okada, or will he have to wait until a future date to see to see these two have a rematch? I don't think there's been hardly any, and if there have been any, it's been very rare that an outsider wins the, the G1 climax. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of, I mean, there's definitely been times where outsiders from all Japan or Noah or freelance guys did make it to the finals, depending on the time and situation, but they don't usually win it. So I really, I'd be so shocked if they had Kiyomiya win. But then again, you just, you don't know. 2023 is one of the weirdest booked New Japan years uh, ever so right I mean, they, they uh, could, it's not impossible yeah they, they could want to set up okada kiyomi at the dome so you could have kiyomi win the g1 okada wins the title in the fall and then you get the third match in the main event of tokyo dome i find that highly unlikely personally though yeah i don't think that's going to happen but it could uh next question here from at dragon master adam on twitter Who's one person you think should have won a G1 in their career but didn't, or one person you think should win one in the future? That's a great question. You know, I saw that question, and I started thinking to myself, like, I actually have a list of guys that I think maybe, I don't want to say should have, but I'm I'm somewhat surprised that they didn't win a G1. And most of them were finalists that just didn't win it. But I think the biggest name and the most glaring uh, person is Jay White. Mm, yeah. Uh, he, he seemed like someone that was destined to win the G1, and it was one of the big achievements that he just didn't reach uh, in his career. Um, you know, the truth is the only the only foreigner that's ever won it is Kenny Omega. Yeah. So they've kind of really reserved that spot. Or the top foreigner at the time, so it definitely seems like Jay could have won it. As far as somebody who should win it or could win in the future, I think Will Osprey could be on that level, that next foreigner that kind of takes that spot to win the tournament. I agree. Um, some of the names from the past that you would think had a great chance at winning it but never did. Uh, well, he was only I think in one G one, but Vader never won one. Mm. Um, and he was in the first one. Uh, Hiroshi Hase, he final he finaled like in the third or fourth one, but he never won one. Um, Kazuyuki Fujita is another guy that was a finalist and a, and a big star in New Japan and didn't uh, win the G1. Um, uh, Yoshihiro Takayama, mm. uh, he finaled in a couple G1s and he didn't win it. And then two other names that they never did come close to winning it. But, like, in an alternate universe, I could see them having been capable of winning a G1 would be, like, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. 
and they never put him in a finals or even close to that. And in a perfect world, if you'd booked him differently, I think they could have elevated Liger and had Liger like go to a finals or even win a G1, but they just never saw him that way. Yeah, that would have been super cool. But for the most part, almost every major big star in New Japan, top guys, they pretty much all won the G1. Yeah, I think that also that's probably one of the best book tournaments ever in, in wrestling history, and they do a good job of elevating guys in that tournament. Yeah, and I and I don't think that I mean the only thing you could say that I might have left off is like if you go a little further back, and you're like Anoki never won it. Well, it's like well he won the you know predecessors before it was called the G one, mm-hmm. um, or like if you were like well AJ Styles never won it. It's like he wasn't. You know, he was champion, but he wasn't, like, seen that way, necessarily. Right, yeah. Uh, next question's here from Rambone Slam Pigs. It's based on the block layout. Is it more likely that Kiyomiya and Okada meet in the quarter, the quarter or semifinals, that they're being kept apart for some future matchup in another setting, or that their story is done for now? Uh, I think we kind of touched on it. I think I think we're going to see it. Yeah, I think they're going to get to the, the quarter or the semifinals where they have to meet because they're, they're in different... I will be shocked if we don't wind up with Okada and Kiyomiya. Yeah, it seems like what was the point even of putting him in the G1 if you're not going to capitalize on that? Uh, this next question, does C-Block seems to be a heavy hitter slash brawler block? Mikey Nichols looks to be the odd man out there. Is that an opportunity for him to stand out as a contrast? What does he need to do to make the most of that? I don't think he's the odd man out. <laughs> Oh, I really don't. I, I don't think that, I mean, I don't think people necessarily categorize Mikey Nichols as like a bruiser brawler type, but mm-hmm. I think that he's just underrated in that aspect. Um, he's from Noah. He does the hard hitting style. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think people are going to be surprised. I'm not like, obviously I'm not the biggest fan of my uh, mad Mikey Nichols necessarily, but I think if you, if there was ever an environment for him to thrive in a tournament like the G1 in this block with these guys, that's where it's going to be. I don't see him as being a contrasting style. I think he's going to lean heavily into what they're doing in that block. If anyone's the odd man out, it's evil. Yeah. Cause evil, even though he can do that hard hitting, never style. I mean, we know what his layout's going to be. It's going to be, you know, the, the run-ins, the, you know, Dick Togo show, Udro, Garot Wire, Wrench, right. light, Lights Out. He's going to be doing, you know, the, the kind of gaga in that block, um, whereas everybody else is, is going to be doing the more hard-hitting stuff. And, yeah, I mean, you know, Nichols is in there with a ton of great workers. I mean, him and Chingo, him and Ishii, him and Hanare, like, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let's see, next question here. Which of the announced main events for G1 are you most intrigued by? I haven't actually looked at the schedule in that way yet, so I don't even know what main events we are or aren't getting, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can uh, run through and say some of them real quick. Let's see. So uh, July 15th, we got Sonata and Hikaleo as the main event. Then July 16th, we have Naito and Jeff Cobb. July 18th, we have Okada and El Phantasmo. 
July 19th, we have Ishii and Tamatonga. July 21st, we got Sonata and Yota Suji. So there's that, that big uh, rematch right there. Now, let's see here. Uh, July 23rd is going to be David Finley versus Evil in the main event. July 25th, we got Sonata and Kaito Kiyomiya. July 26th, we got ZSJ and Jeff Cobb. The 27th, we got Okada and Will Ospreay. The 30th, we got Tanahashi and Hiroki Goto. August 1st, we got Okada and Kenta. August 2nd, we got Shingo and David Finley. August 5th, uh, that's, okay, so... August 5th is an eight-block night, and so that'll be determined by, uh, you know, the standing and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of interesting main events there. And it, it just kind of continues from there. Like, those eight-block nights, we're not going to know what the main event is until later on. Right, yeah. Uh, it's going to be based on, you know, the point order. Yeah, because I'm kind of going through the schedule myself, and I'm like, okay, after that point, that's what it's it kind of just looks like for the rest of the tournament until the quarterfinals. Right. Yeah. On it, honestly, just from that lineup alone, it, the, the only one that really, really stands out as being super notable and something that I have to see. Well, I'm going to see all of it, obviously, but it's Okada and Will Ospreay. Yeah. I think that's also the, the, the biggest, like from a match quality, probably that's the biggest main event. I think just from an intriguing main event, I think Okada and El Fantasmo is going to be interesting just because, you know, they've got this whole Bay face turn. They seem to be kind of trying to elevate him. So I think that's a potential upset alert there and just a great opportunity to get Fantasmo in a main event with a guy like Okada. Yeah, and, uh, you know, David Finley versus Evil is very interesting from a Bullet Club narrative standpoint and the fact that it is the main event. And then... um Another one that really sticks out to me, July 25th, Sonata versus Kiyomiya. Mm -hmm. That's a big one, and that one is taking place from Cork and Hall. And it seems like some of these uh, Cork and Hall shows are looking to be a little bit bigger than some of the other tournament shows as opposed to, like, your traditional, like, the Corkins are, like, down shows. And, you know, the ones on the in the middle are, like, held in bigger venues. It's not quite like that this year. Yeah, definitely an interesting uh, kind of lineup here. Uh, Rambo's last question says, is there a chance that the Finley versus Evil G1 main event delivers on the Bullet Club Civil War hype, giving us a firm split between House of Torture and BC? Or is it more likely to be an overbooked mess with no lasting consequence? I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. I think it could definitely lead to a split, but not necessarily a prolonged quote-unquote civil war feud so a little bit of both and yeah i think it's going to be overbooked mess regardless no matter what yeah i think we're finally going to get some kind of decision on where how the torture lies but i don't expect there to be you know after g1 you know this big you know war between the bull club and they're gonna you know end in some kind of crazy you know multi-man you know elimination or something like no i think it's just going to be they're going to kind of settle it and then move on uh, then last G1 question here from at donut underscore Desperado. 
How do you think Kiyomiya is going to fare now that the schedule is out? Kiyomiya is a great wrestler. Um, it's a great block full of a lot of young, hungry guys. He's actually probably one of the more senior wrestlers in that group. And it's going to be awesome. I think he's going to do really well. I can't wait to see him and Gabe Kidd lock up after Gabe Kidd talked all that shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. All those comments on that podcast. <laughs> that's going to be interesting. <laughs> well, that's going to, uh, I think, wrap up our talk on G1 for now. Uh, we'll have uh, Chris Samsa on in a couple weeks to do our, our official kind of preview and primer and uh, give some more uh, predictions that way. But, yeah, I think that'll, that'll wrap it up for uh, this week. Uh, let's move on now. Um, so Friday, June 9th, we've had, we had the uh, All Together Again show that was a pay-per-view on NJPW World. Uh, we're not going to, you know, give the, the blow by blow here, but uh, I think we can just kind of, like, talk about the overall show. Yeah, so just running through the results very briefly, the eight-man tag team match, Black Men's Array, Rio Inoue, Rizuki Taguchi and Yo defeated Alejandro, Atsushi Kotege, Siki Yoshiaka and Super Crazy. Second match of the night, Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi defeated the tough team of Kita, Mia, and Inamura, along with Daiki Inaba. Third match of the night, Chris Ridgway and Sean Legacy defeated the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita and Zack Sabre Jr. Fourth match of the night, the only singles match highlight of the show, Shota Umino defeated Yoshitatsu, 5 minutes, 58 seconds. Fifth match of the night, the Axis team of Goshi Ozaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima defeated Kotu Omori and Satoshi Kojima. Sixth match of the night, Strong Style Trio defeated Junta Miyawaki, Naomichi Marafuji, and Takashi Sagura. Seventh match of the night, United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Francesco Akira, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and TJP defeated Voodoo Murders, Jun Saito, Rei Saito, along with Dan Tamora, Hikaru Sato, and Ryuki Honda. Eighth match of the night, Suwama, Yuji Nagata, and Yuma Anzai. They defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Tetsu Naito. Ninth match of the night, GLG, Jake Lee, Tadasuke and Yohei defeated just five guys, Sonata, Taka, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru. Semi-main event, Amakusa, Atsuki Aoyogi, and Hiromu Takahashi defeated Hayata, Master Wato, and Rising Hayato. And then in your main event, Kazushiko Okada, Keno, and Yuma Aoyagi defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kato Kiyomiya, and Kento Miyahara, 23 minutes and 22 seconds. Yeah, and we had a question here from at Donut underscore Desperado. What is your overall opinion of All Together Again? I loved it. What is the outlook for the rest of 2023 for NJPW, AJPW, and NOAA? Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, overall, I thought All Together Again was a, a really fun show. I mean, if you are a, a diehard New Japan fan, I mean, you could technically skip this show and you wouldn't really miss out on any kind of storyline elements. Obviously, there was kind of igniting the fire again with Okada and Kiyomiya. Kiyomiya. Yeah, in the main event. But besides that, this was just a, a fun show. If you, you just want to watch some, you know, really fun wrestling, see some interesting interpromotional matchups, it was it was a fun show. Yeah, I think that um, for those fans who are much more embedded into the overall greater per Rezu scene, or maybe even are following along with some of these other companies like all Japan and Noah to a greater extent than we are. Cause I wouldn't even call myself at this point, a casual fan of those brands. 
because of the amount of time we spend covering New Japan, I I will cherry pick a match here or there, but I don't really watch New Japan or I'm sorry, All Japan or Noah very extensively at all. Um, but I did think that there was some very interesting takeaways. Um, you know, there's always talk amongst the Perezu fan base about this, that, and the other in relationship to New Japan versus these other companies. And I think that you could just watching the show, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but there was a stark difference between the star power presence and reception of the New Japan talent versus a lot of the talent that was present from the other companies. Mm-hmm. But what I think was really stark uh, was the differences between the Noah and all Japan talent where, and this is just kind of my feeling. It felt like all Japan has done a better job cultivating a stronger undercard than Noah has currently. And I don't know if that has to do with the way they train or the way they recruit, but um, although Noah does definitely has like some great young talent, like, all Japan seems to have a much more vibrant, thriving undercard scene right now. Just and that was kind of that was kind of apparent on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, Noah's kind of been plagued for years now for all the older guys and old talents. You know, Muto kind of holding a lot of the younger guys back. So yeah, I think they've had a hard time really, you know, pushing and establishing some of their their younger talent. Meanwhile, on the, the All Japan side, you really didn't have that kind of barrier. So I think yeah, they were able they had the opportunity to really kind of highlight and um, get some younger guys over. But it was a really cool opportunity to see all these different groups and individuals interact with one another. But like what Jeremy said, uh, there, there, there's, there's not going to be a lot of, or hardly any strong running storylines coming out of this. There were no angles or, you know, even with the fact that some of these groups are working together, you would have thought that hypothetically there might have been some crossover elements that would lead into uh, the shows that, that are going to move forward where some of these guys will interact again down the line, but that doesn't really seem to be the case. This was sort of just your fun, you know, uh, fire pro style dream match card, not unlike some of the Noah, um, new Japan shows that we've seen around like early January time. Uh, I do have to say that, and this might come as no surprise to anybody, but like I was so impressed with Kento Miyahara Mm -hmm. and the way he came off against, uh, uh, namely Kazushiko Okada. Like that's a match. Like once I saw those two guys interact and I've, I've always wanted to see Miyahara do more, uh, with new Japan. And I, I don't think it's necessarily likely, but like, Holy shit, were they hot for him in that match? Yeah, I know a lot of people were really kind of focusing on Okada and Kiyomiya, but yeah, Okada and Miyahara was was great. Their interactions were great, and I feel like Miyahara is a guy that kind of always gets forgotten about just because all Japan um, is not as big as it used to be, or you know, it's just kind of hard to to watch. But he's still great, and he's a guy that if he was on a bigger platform, he'd be a bigger superstar. Uh, another takeaway from the show. Um... I thought it was interesting how both Noah and New Japan's world champions were opposite one another, but third from the top. 
as opposed to in the semi-main event or the main event. Mm. And even though I do think Sonata is having a very good run as champion and, you know, doing well, it's, it's apparent that he wasn't involved in that main event with all those top established, you know, stars from, from both companies. Uh, he kind of just came, you know, it, it's just interesting that Noah's also in the same boat. They also have a, a, a guy holding the title that is also not the top established star for their company at the current time as well. They're opposite one another. Yeah. Uh, also another interesting thing, uh, Yuji Nagata um, teaming up with Yuma Anzai, which is kind of this, you know, super rookie that he's been like, had his eyes on and really he kind of wishes he could bring New Japan. So interesting that anytime they get an opportunity, he's kind of teaming up with him and kind of carrying him under his wing. My understanding too is Yuma Anzai is getting ready to challenge uh nagata for that title i don't think he's going to beat him but it's like his first year in the business and he's main eventing against uh a legend like yuji nagata so that's pretty awesome uh i thought the semi-main event the, the i mean the two if you're just gonna cherry pick and dive in i would say the top two matches are the only ones that are worth going well out of your way to really check out um i thought that the semi-main event with all the juniors was very fun very fast paced and uh you know pretty entertaining but the main event was fantastic and probably a tag team match of the year contender, uh, potentially. Um, and yeah, even like Kano shown like Kano shined in that match. Mm-hmm. Aoyagi was great. Uh, the one person that kind of was glaringly obvious, not in the league of everybody else was Hiroshi Tanahashi. And he did, he was able to get some of his stuff in for sure, but he's cooked, man. <laughs> And I love the ace, but he's done, bro. And then he got beat. He got beat by Okada, bro. And I don't know. That just kind of, again, reaffirms where we're at in 2023 when it comes to these two guys. Yeah, man. It, it's it, it's hard watching Tanahashi out there. And we're about to watch him in the G1. Um, I, I know the ace usually pulls it through, but, man, I, I'm worried, man. Now, I will say... Um, if you want more coverage, more in-depth, I thought that the guys over at Big Audio Nightmare behind uh, the paywall at Wrestling Observer, they did a fantastic job breaking the show down, as well as um, Super Jcast. They had, uh, which I don't regularly listen to this podcast, so I don't know the gentleman's name, but they had uh, some of their uh, someone from the Voices of Wrestling uh, from the, uh, podcasting Flo network. Show. Yeah, someone from the Emerald Flow show came on and kind of gave a more thorough breakdown of the stars from Noah and All Japan. And kind of they did a deep dive into the current state of affairs as it pertains to those companies and everything like that. And that was a pretty enlightening and uh, very entertaining aspect of that show. So I would highly recommend checking those segments out because, you know, we're the Ace of Podcasts, but. We're, we're not we're not t- we're not uh, touching on the King's Road, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, move on now to uh, New Japan Road. Uh, so we had Road, <laughs> and it's it's Road to Strong. So we actually have a Road to something. It's New Japan Road, Road to Strong. Uh, that is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I just call it Road to Strong? <laughs> Uh, so New Japan Road, Road to Strong. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Why? Uh, so for, first show this tour was uh, June 10th. Uh, we had Kosei Fujita defeating Yuto Nakashima. 
couple questions here. Uh, Fujita has declared he's officially graduated. Where do you think he goes from here? Does he get a noticeable push, or does he fit in that barely above young line spot for years like Finlay and Hanari were? And that came from uh, OKOK890. OK, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he is quote-unquote graduated and kind of treated more similarly similarly to like how Ren Narita was graduated, Mm. but he wasn't fully graduated. You know, like they they said he, yeah, that sort of thing. And I wouldn't even be surprised if at some point he does get an excursion or a mini excursion elsewhere or is allowed to freelance and go pick up some experience elsewhere in Japan. But, uh, that, that's my guess. I don't think he's going to be, um, you know, floating around for years like Finley and Hanari because for better or for worse, he's not a he's not a foreigner. Right, and this all goes back to the whole youth movement. Some of the reports we heard about earlier in the year about them wanting to kind of fast track the young line system and not have these guys gone for super long excursions. And so, you know, putting with Zach, I mean – you can see in the wrestling, he has learned a lot from Zach and, and Nichols and Hayes and Robbie. Um, so being with TMDK has kind of been like a on-the-job excursion for him. Uh, so I definitely think that once he is officially graduated, I don't think he's going to get lost um, in the mix. Then uh, next question here from MJSPR. It seems Vegeta has already graduated the young lion from, from a young lion. What's next for the sweet one? Zach Saber mentioned a new senpai for Vegeta, possibly from Noah. Any guesses? Uh, I have no idea who that could possibly be, but um, that does seem to be a tease of somebody else coming into the group, which, you know, we did a whole entire conversation with Robbie and he was talking about the dynamics they have and he threw out a few names from TMDK that could be joining. But I also, I wouldn't discount someone from Noah possibly being a, a possibility as well. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the card, we had uh, Great Bashiel, Makabe, and Hanuma defeating Oleg Bolton and Oscar Lube. Then we had Yano, Yo, and Yoshihashi and Taguchi defeating all the House of Torture. Then we had Hanare, Francisco Akira, and TJP defeating the Bull Club War Dogs of Clark Connors, Drilla Maloney, and Gato. Post match, they uh, got their heat back by uh, jumping uh, the United Empire. Then uh, the next matchup, Bullet Club War Dogs of Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd defeated Hiroki Goto and Roy Oiwa. Post-match, uh, Gabe Kidd got the mic and said that they want to beat Bishamon not once, but twice, and challenge them to two separate title matches for the Independence Day shows. You know, it's fine. I guess we just got to take it at face value, but I don't know if that's a good idea or a really stupid idea, because... Think about it. On the one hand, if you're these guys, like, you know, if you're the Bull Club and you're unsure of yourself as it pertains to uh, winning gold, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you've just doubled your chances. And it's like, well, we only got to win one to win a title, you know, because what are the chances we're going to get beat two, two in a row? Right. On the flip side, you only had to if you'd only done the one title match with both titles on the line, then you would have only had to beat him once and you get everything. And now it's less likely that you're going to get both titles. I don't know what's, what's better or what's worse. I know for us, 
we're going to have to watch the match twice in a row. And if the match is really good, then great. But also it's the same match back to back on two, two nights. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the matches will be really good and it's probably, they figured they, they want to separate those belts for whatever reason. So I'm guessing uh kid and Coughlin will win the strong titles and then Bishop on will retain the IWGP. And that's what I'm thinking too. But I'm just like, I'm thinking of it from a kayfabe perspective. Like, did you just screw yourself or did you make it more likely you're going to win belts? I don't yeah. know. Uh, next up, we had the chaos team of Okada and Ishii teaming up with Tanahashi and Master Wato. And they defeated Desperado, Renarita, Shoto Umino, and Tiger Mask. And we had a question here from X Ethan. Should Wato be continuing to come out with his uh, Best Super Junior trophy and flag after losing his title shot? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's unfortunate that uh, you win the best of the Super Juniors and then very shortly after that, you you have that title shot. And it's like, if you win it, then you replace the trophy with the title. But if you lose it, you want to keep coming out with your title. But it's like, (laughs) you're like, I'm the best of the Super Juniors. Apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Poor Wato. This man, he came out very happy, though. Showing off his flag, showing off his trophy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, then uh, main event we had the uh, elimination style uh, matchup here with the Lij team of Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Yota Suji defeating just five guys: Doki, Sonata, Taichi, Taka, and Kanemaru. The last two men were Yota Suji and Doki, and uh, Suji killed Doki with a huge spear. Got the win for the LIJ team and is earning his keep in in the faction. What do you mean earning his keep? He keeps everyone in the faction. He's the leader. <laughs> well, he did uh throw up the the post match, you know, fist first again, and they they all fall in line. So, I I think we're seeing a a case of a uh, Nakamura Okada. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for that review, so we'll move on. This coming week, we have New Japan Road Road to Strong. On June uh, 17th, we have the following lineup. Master Watson will take on Kosei Fujita in opening action. Rizuki Taguchi and Yuto Nakashima versus Oleg Bolton and Tomoki Hama. Third match of the night, cast team of Goto, Yano, Tenzan, and Togi Makabe take on the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro. Fourth match of the night, the United Empire's Francesco Akira, Great O'Conn, and TJP will take on the Bull Club War Dogs, Clark Connors, Drill Maloney, and Ghetto. Fifth match of the night, Oscar Luebe and Yoshihashi take on the Bull Club team of Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd. Sixth match of the night, Okada, Ishii, and Yo, along with Tanahashi, take on the strong style team of Desperado, Ren Narita, along with Shoto Umino and Tiger Mask. Semi-main event, the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo Takagi, Tetsuya Naito and Just Five Guys, or take on the team of Just Five Guys is uh, Taichi, Takamichinoku, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru. And then your main event is going to be the team of Hiromu Takahashi and Yotosuji, taking on Just Five Guys, Doki, and Sonata. And then that will take us to June 18th, the next day, New Japan Road. Yuji Nagata presents Blue Justice 12. So this is the Yuji Nagata produce show. So it'll open up with Kosei Vegeta versus Ryu Oiwa. We'll have Oscar Lube and Tiger Mask versus Oleg Bolton and Rusuke Taguchi. 
Toriano, Yo, Yoshihashi, and Togi Makabe will take on the House of Torture. Clark Connors, Drilla Maloney, and Gato will take on Catch 2-2 and Great Okan. Goto and Yuto Nakashima will take on Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd. Okada and Ishii and Hanma will take on Desperado, Red Narita, and Shota Umino. Semi-main event, the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Tsuji will take on just five guys. And then the main event will be uh, New Japan versus All Japan as Hiroshi Tanahashi, Master Wato, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata will take on Zenchichi Shin Jadai. I guess that's their team name. Atsuki Aoyagi, Kento Miyahara, Yuma Anzai, and Yuma Aoyagi. And question here from at Donut underscore Desperado. NJ Road looks to be mixing it up. New Japan versus All Japan. Thoughts? I mean, it's they're pretty much doing this as part of Blue Justice. And obviously, uh, Yuji Nagata spending some time over there. So it's going to be interesting to see the combatants from these two groups, you know, uh, work together, but that's pretty much all it is. And I mean, it, it's nice that, uh, you know, it, it's give and take because on the one hand we are getting to see interpromotional stuff and that's always interesting and cool. On the other hand, I'd like to see more cohesive work between these groups as opposed to just like one-off matches, mm-hmm. you know, storylines or something that you can really sink your teeth into. And that's not really what we've been getting out of these types of interactions. And the other thing, too, is these types of things really only usually happen because the groups are all hurting financially, and that is usually the impetus for why they're working together. So it is a good sign, but it's also a bad sign all at the same time. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a Blue Justice produce show, and it's yeah, you know, usually kind of get some kind of match like this on, on these kind of shows. So it should be, should be a fun main event. Couple pieces of news. So El Desperado was asked, uh, he's asked hardcore wrestling icon Jun Kasai to be his tag team partner at New Japan's Strong Independence Day in his tag team match against John Moxley and Homicide. In a video posted to the NJPW World YouTube page and NJPW social media accounts, Desperado asked uh, Jun Kasai to team with him. And, and, uh, New Japan has yet to make the match official. They're still listing Desperado's partner as X, but it did appear earlier today that John Moxley has responded and is accepting the challenge. So uh, it's pretty much all but a done deal that we're getting Jun Kasai along with Desperado against John Moxley and Homicide in Japan at Corken Hall. And I'm assuming very likely this is going to be some form of no rules DQ slash death match in oh New yeah Japan. It, it has to be <laughs> dude this this, uh, this match is gonna be it's gonna be red <laughs> it's gonna be wild um in other news will osprey is gonna be on the 618 rep pro show and he has vowed that he's going to address the dan maloney situation so yep and that brings us to a couple questions here uh first from death triangle 720 do you think this new Bullet Club could work better if someone other than Finley was leader? Yes, myself. I would like to be the leader. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people are very hard on Dave Finley, and I get it. You know, the whole perception and reality thing of him kind of being that kind of mid-card tag team guy to now being a leader of the faction. But I don't know. I feel like the heel turn and his work 
and everything they've done so far has elevated him, and I think he's doing a great job. I don't get the I don't get the criticism. My only criticism, if I were to have one, is that since the heel turn, we haven't been getting the same level of great match out of um, David Finley that we were getting at, say, like last year's G1 or the subsequent title shot he had against uh, Will Ospreay for the U.S. belt. But that's because he is working like a more heelish style. And it is an, it's a market improvement of what he was doing years ago in his babyface role. But as far as like people, I don't, I don't understand the criticism. We've got Bull Club's fucking awesome right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, his promos, his backstage promos are awesome. I think he's got great presence. He's got, he's a believable champion. His work is strong and the entire like ethos and feel and vibe of Bullet Club has literally changed in just the course of a couple months. And uh, I'm here for it. Like, I don't know. Maybe, you know what it might be, Jeremy? Hmm. I hated the Bullet Club before he took over. I hated it. I hated like the last four or five years of Bullet Club. I did not like Bullet Club under Jay White. I like Jay White, but I didn't like the fucking Bullet Club. It sucked. It was not fun. It wasn't cool to watch. They were not cool. They were lame. Their matches were horrible. It got worse when House of Torture took over. Everybody that wanted this Bullet Club Civil War, I was like, for what? For why? <laughs> what do you want to watch this for? All of a sudden, they push someone who's like young and underutilized, and he's doing something totally different. And they're like, he used to be a jobber. Well, he's not anymore. Okay. Right. And <laughs> he's beating people's asses, and he's bringing in all the all the dudes that I wanted to see in this company that I was worried were going to get squandered and either quit the business or go work in WWE and and then quit the business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're all getting used. So what are we complaining about? Yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm taking Finley's club over. Bull Club Gold in AEW. Hell yeah, bro! The Bull Club, Bull Club Gold is the core. Yeah. <laughs> when, when the Nexus like split and they sent all the core members over to SmackDown or whatever the show was, and, yeah. and they're like, "We're the core, y'all suck." <laughs> bro, Bull Club Gold sucks. I I'm sorry, and I get it that there are people that are into it, but like, I honestly think a lot of those people, and I'm sorry if you're one of them, are like the fringy weird pro elitist gatekeepers that are just trying to hold on to something like it's done it's over finito kaput that shit's <laughs> cooked there's some new shit that's happening right here and you guys are missing it why why because finley why i don't get it yeah i, I don't get it either yeah bull club finley's bull club is so much better than bull it's club so Ball. much better yeah i wanted them to kill the bull club and now i don't yeah, that's a, that's a huge that's a huge statement right there. Uh, other question: Who could show up on Dynamite since most of the top guys are not available? You know, there are a couple weeks uh, to Forbidden Door, right? Um, I'm guessing. Are we reviewing that next week, or when we'll, is that? Uh, we'll be previewing it next week. And if there's a card, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're recording on Monday night. I'm sure by the end of the show on Wednesday night, we'll have a better idea of some of the stuff going on. My, my whole feeling is basically this. And I've seen 
people on both sides bitch, cry, moan, and complain about it. And, you know, I do think it's good for there to be a build of some sorts. But, you know, at the same time, we got two dream matches that were built primarily in New Japan, on New Japan shows, which is really cool. Um, And they're big enough matches to where you don't even have to really do much of a build on American TV for them to resonate because they're they're such big names and it's there's so much anticipation that they pretty much sell the pay-per-view in and of themselves. But beyond that, do I think that there's a chance that people might show up? It seems like, yeah, um, there is like, for instance, Kenta's in the States and he seems to be making some noise online. I wouldn't be surprised. If he does show up on television here, maybe Wednesday or whatever. Um, and I'm sure there's some other names. I, I haven't looked at the road to strong to figure out who is or isn't available. Uh, Sabre is, should be available. Um, Osprey is not under the New Japan tour. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the other thing, too, with all this is, like, AEW has their own storylines going on with their own feuds that are taking up their own television time. And I don't think it's conducive necessarily to business to put all of it on hold for two weeks to build to this or that it should even intersect too much with what's going on with Forbidden Door. You know what I think is a perfectly appropriate thing to do? Have a couple guys send some video package promos. Have them respond that way. Let those guys respond back via social media or on maybe some of these shows over here in Japan. and then. The week before, they all are on the same show, and that's where we get the big go home. I think that's perfectly fine. You know what I mean? Because they've already got two me- two mega matches on the show, and literally, we're not getting this, but if they just did tag matches all the way down the rest of the show, it would still be worth it. Definitely. Um, for the go-home show, I think everybody's going to be available for the go-home show. So, yeah, we'll probably definitely have some appearances there, some final angles to build hype, but... Yeah, I mean, right now, the show is worth it alone just on Omega and Osprey 2 and then Okada and Brian Danielson. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic, uh, regardless of, you know, and I know there's people on both sides of the aisle that feel some kind of way about these various companies. And, you know, I'll even admit, I'm not even really watching AEW very often, very much lately. It's not been, it hasn't been the kind of wrestling that I like to watch personally. But I'm very excited for this show, and I, you know, I understand that both companies have their own businesses to maintain, and you can't put all of it on hold to facilitate one crossover show. Right. I think it. I think it's gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, people want New Japan not to do their their tour. People want AW to focus their TV on the whole show. Like you can't do that. <laughs> right. I don't even think it would be good for the, for either of them to do that necessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be great. Yeah, they're, they're showing video packages. You did have the, the match last week of uh, Blackpool Combat Club against the Chaos team of Best Friends and Rocky the Romero. Chaos team. <laughs> 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 oh, man. So, yeah, they're building it up. Uh, MJSPR says, uh, halfway through the year, what grade are you giving NJPW? I would give New Japan right now an A. Uh, I, I would, think I think it's been awesome. Yeah, I'll give it an A too. I mean, 
The booking has been great. They're elevating young guys. We got fresh matchups, fresh stories, fresh rivalries. I know that it might not feel this way to an outsider looking in, right? Because they're like, Sonata's the champion or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, David Finley's the leader of Bull Club. But that's like the kind of shit that only like an uneducated person says when they don't know what the fuck's going on in the company and they're they're missing it. Um, but at the end of the day, right now, the best booked company, the most interesting company, and the, the company having the best matches in the world is New Japan. Maybe you could point to Stardom, but I don't watch Stardom, so I don't know what the fuck's going on <laughs> there. But it's probably one of those two companies. I can tell you right now, and this isn't me like, uh, this is, th- there's no cap here. This has been booked much better than AEW has been booked. And it, there's been better wrestling that's been going on here. And it's been more interesting and more exciting than anything anyone else is doing, including WWE as well. Um, this is this is like a renaissance year for New Japan right now. I know it's not like the height of the golden age of like between 2016 and 2019 right now, but we're on pace, bro. Yeah, we're we're gonna, we're about to create a whole new golden era. Yeah, it's pretty awesome what's happening right now, and it's been a great great year. Yeah, and I can see the rest of the year being great as well. So yeah, I'm really enjoying New Japan right now. Yeah, everything's just hitting on every cylinder. Like everything has been great. All title programs, like everything's been awesome. Like if at the end of the year. Um, Gato's not winning Booker of the Year. Something has gone wrong with the voting or people are just not tuned in because there's no fucking way Tony Khan wins Booker of the Year this year. Well, unfortunately, he probably will because AW is just the more visible, more watched thing. Uh, yeah, but it's also been, there's been, uh, you know, this is, uh... <laughs> Booker of the year this year, like he's back, bro. <laughs> I'm telling you, that man was holding on to all his good stuff during the pandemic. He's like, I'm not. He's bl- been waiting. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not blowing all my good ideas until we get full crowds back. <laughs> he's been listening to the show. We're like, I think when full crowds come back, then New Japan's gonna be like good again. And he's listening. He's like, you have no idea. <laughs> He, he let Dick Togo book for the pandemic just to sort of <laughs> save his ideas. <laughs> like, sure, oh, you went with the belt on evil? Sure, fine. It's like, it's like when you already beat a level, so you let your little brother play on that level because it's not going to mess up your save anyways. Right. It's like, yeah, go ahead. And they're like, they're just terrible. And it's like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm already like, you know, I already saved. My save is like, four levels ahead of this. They can do whatever the fuck they want. That's what he was doing. He's like, oh yeah, Dick Toga, do whatever you want, man. It's good. <laughs> you know, one thing we, and uh, I don't want to branch off on this too much, but we didn't even mention in the past few weeks, the whole business aspect of everything that's been reported on and that's been going on with, uh, with, uh, who's the, with Obari mm-hmm. and Obari making mention that like the company almost went out of business during the pandemic or it was only due to like smart financial decisions that, that they made under his regime that they were able to navigate, uh, avoiding going under essentially. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy to think about that. Yeah. They were that close. Like Tanahashi would ask him, you know, 
what's going to happen. He's like, oh, we're fine. But in, rela- in reality, like they were months away from potentially closing the door. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah, we almost weren't doing this show anymore. <laughs> so good on him and good on uh, the company for some of the smart financial decisions they made, even if we were complaining about it at the time. Like, I don't know why they're not buying new new people. And they're like, we don't got money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last question here from X Ethan. It feels like AEW got the better end of the stick at last year's Forbidden Door. Do you think New Japan will walk out looking stronger at this year's Forbidden Door? I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, they, they probably won't win the majority of the matches, but I don't know. Like we were talking about last week. I feel like uh, Okada's got to beat Danielson, and I feel like Osprey should beat Omega. So. I don't know. Oh, Here's the thing I will say. Okada, I do think Okada should beat Danielson. Um, but Okada also has taken losses to people at various times on, on like, uh, road shows, you know, uh, one that comes to mind is like, he lost to Zack Sabre Jr. in, in England and in situations like that, where he has had an occasional loss outside of the company, he bounces back pretty fine. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if he did need to lose, I think he'd be okay, but he's a bigger star in in New Japan than Danielson is in AEW, and I feel like he has to win. I kind of feel like Kenny's going to beat Osprey though. To set up a third match? Yeah. It's tough, but I yeah. think that's what's happening. Yeah. So yeah, I think there'll be some big matches that, a- that uh, New Japan will win, but as far as coming out stronger, I don't know if I mean, ultimately, I don't think it's going to be like a like a squash where they just like shut them out. You know, uh, sh- like AW's not going to shut New Japan out. But uh, I, if I were to guess which company is going to come away with more W's, it'll probably be AW because they're financing the show. It's technically, I know it's promoted as a, a co-branded show, but it, it's really a Tony Khan show. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and they're the bigger, they're the A side of this partnership so yeah all right well that's it for the questions let's end here with recommended match of the week uh so last week i recommended pack versus jushin thunder liger from the 2012 best super juniors you know jeremy i had never seen this match did you get a chance to check this match out yeah i did this is a fucking hidden gem yeah this is an incredible, incredible match. This might be one of the best sub-15 minute matches in New Japan or even just wrestling history. Um, I can't remember too many matches that are this good that go just over 10 minutes. Uh, we got to get Pack in New Japan. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now that the Dragon Gate shit is done. <laughs> all right. That's, you know what? I don't know what. We are tripping every year when we're like, oh, let's get Darby Allen into the Super Juniors. Bro, bring Pac to Pac. You know what? Pac is the one guy, the one guy, and I mean this wholeheartedly, that they could bring over from AEW and have him win Super Juniors, and I wouldn't even bat an eye about it. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) They They need to bring him here. But, uh, yeah, the story of this match was, like, it was awesome because you're talking about a young 
very athletic and hungry motivated baby face pack versus the ever you know the the golden god of japanese you know junior wrestling in in uh jushin thunder liger so you got that baby face versus baby face thing going on and there's you know this styles clash between these two guys and the match is very quick um great mat work from liger explosive high-flying sequences from pack it's an amazing match like it's just a gem and uh we need more pack in this company um if you haven't seen it i would say go out of your way i i really can't do it justice because pack is just phenomenal the the stuff he does in this match some of it is really fucking crazy and liger busts out a, a few of his old classics that he probably wasn't doing too much of at the time as well and uh ultimately pack beats jushin thunder liger and the crowd reacted in a way where i don't think they expected that to happen so mm. it's pretty shocking um you need to see this match yeah it, it was awesome yeah it, it's awesome this is like one of your best recommended match of the week picks ever <laughs> like you you pick good matches for sure no doubt but i can't remember the last time you like picked something that i hadn't seen and then i was like oh shit like what is this <laughs> Uh, then for the excursion match of the week, you had originally picked uh, Suji versus Gran Guerrero, but we could not find any footage of that tile match. Here's the thing: there there were two people on Cage Match that rated it and had like a lot of stuff to say about it. And I'm like, did, were they in Arena Mexico or? <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> I re- I reached out to Lucha Blog, who is someone who we've periodically reached out to a few times and just never responds to us. Like, I don't know if we don't have the clout, what the deal is, but I was like, bro, you know how we can find this. I'm looking for it. Nothing. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then uh, we were talking earlier today and we were looking for um, Desperado's tournaments of survival match. Couldn't find an active link for that. So went with uh, – Dan Maloney versus Francisco Akira from Rev Pro Revolution Rumble it was up on NJPW World, and this was the match that led to Dan Maloney joining the United Empire for that time period. So the whole story of this was um, Maloney was trying to get a match with Will Ospreay, and Will made him kind of run the gauntlet. He had four big guys that he had to wrestle on the build-up to this match, but then Will got hurt. And so Will's replacement was Akira uh, for this match. And so this was a, a very hard-hitting match. I mean, right from the get-go, Maloney was laying the chops in onto Akira. And I can see why New Japan, like, brought him over after this match. Like, he was just laying in all his stuff, like, killing Akira with the chops. And, like, Akira was kind of almost like the, the bait, underdog bait, bait in, the, in this match. And Akira, or and then Maloney was just overpowering him. And Akira was having to use his speed and quickness to... Kind of overcome him, and then there were points in the match where Maloney would get distracted by a will on the outside, uh, kind of shifting his focus away from Akira. Uh, but yeah, really great matchup. Towards the end, he hits like the the reg- the regular Drilla Killer thing near fall. Akira kicks out. I popped for that. That was huge. But then he picks him up. It looks like he's going to do a uh, Stormbreaker. He does a double hook, picks him up, and he drops him into the Drilla Killer from that position. It was nuts and just kills Akira uh, gets the three count gets the win and then we get the whole post match where they, they hand him the uh, the armband he joins United Empire but really awesome match I'm like four and a quarter on it 
That's very yeah, and you know what? I'm about four and a quarter on Liger and Pack. Nice, which is really high for a ten minute match. <laughs> yeah, well, those, the, the work was just so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, now for this week, I got the excursion match of the week this week. So my pick will be Zack Saber Jr. First, our good friend Rocky Romero from the June first episode of Ring of Honor. And that match is on uh, NJPW World. Okay. Um, I hadn't remembered to pick anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just looking very briefly through the... Uh, I want to look through our list to make sure I'm not recommending something to you we haven't seen before. And I, I think I'm good. Um, have you ever watched the Kota Ibushi Shibata match from the G1? I don't think I have. All right, then that, okay, I just want to make sure we hadn't done that one. It's not on the list, so I think we're good. Uh, there's one ever singles match between uh, Katsuri Shibata and Kota Ibushi. It's from G1 Climax 2015, block A97, and um, it, it's pretty fucking wild. Uh, I can only imagine with those two guys. <laughs> and that, and it's, the only, it's the only time they ever wrestle each other in a singles match. Uh, Dave went four and a half on it. Um, cage match has it at an 8.88 and it is just over 13 minutes long. Ooh, a sprint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome, bro. It's so good. Oh, uh, nice. Looking forward to checking that out this week. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Uh, next week we'll be back to preview forbidden door. Maybe we'll be just talking about two matches. <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll see when we get a, uh, get any more matches this, uh, upcoming week. And also talk about uh, the New Japan uh, Road Tour as well. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuitflex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Follow the network at Social Suplex on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Instagram or at Social Suplex on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy that's keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com and you can check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite hosted by Floyd and Austin. AW Match Guide Podcast hosted by Sir Sam. And the great match generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bomb. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.